Sean in a, an interview has said that <clears throat> he approached it seriously and let humor come out of it, whereas I went in the comedy door. I look around for jokes all the time because I'm a clown. another episode of James Bond and Friends. Um, this week, James Bond was enjoying his quiet retirement in Jamaica um, when an urgent letter arrived from Felix Leiter expressing he needed his help on a mission. Unfortunately, he got the letter six weeks late because the USPS were backlogged. So Felix, <laughs> fa- <laughs> Felix failed his mission, got fired from the CIA, and had to lay off all of his staff at the pickled pepper factory. <laughs> so elections matter, people. All right. So this week we are going to be watching Octopussy, which was Lisa's choice. Yes. Yes. So with that, um, <laughs> donning our red squeaky noses and big floppy shoes this week is Bill, Calvin, Ben, Dr. Lisa, Phil, and David. Would you like to introduce yourself, guys? Uh, he- hello, everyone. This is Bill Koenig, and I run a blog called The Spike Man. This is Calvin Dyson, and I run a YouTube channel called Calvin Dyson, where I look at all things Bond. And this week, I'm drinking a rum and coke inspired by David, because I don't often drink rum and cokes, but every week, David is like, I'm drinking a rum and coke. And I'm like, oh, that sounds so nice, actually. I, I quite fancy one, and now I finally have one. Calvin, I'm impressed. <laughs> Thank I've you. managed to inspire one person with my drink. Well done. <laughs> Uh, hi, this is Ben Williams. I write for mi6hq.com and mi6 Confidential magazine. This week I am drinking um, both a uh, gin and tonic uh, in honor of uh, the first part of, uh, of the Indian part of the movie uh, and a Weiss beer uh, for the, uh, the Berlin parts of the movie. So, <laughs> Which third of the movie will you be joining us for? The first one, I guess? <laughs> well, I might just pour them into one, shake it up, oh. and see what happens. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll be drinking an Alka-Seltzer just thinking about that. <laughs> uh, I'm Dr. Lisa Funnel. I'm the author of The Geographies, Genders, and Geopolitics of James Bond, editor of For His Eyes Only, The Women of James Bond. And today I am drinking, in honor of Octopussy, one of my favorite movies, um, I'm drinking a lychee martini. Mm-hmm. I am fancy <laughs> and <laughs> sipping it. I will. I'm going to sip this gradually so that mm. everything comes out coherent. Uh, okay, Phil Nobile here. Uh, Octopussy is the first movie Bond movie I remember seeing in a theater. Oh, okay. so this is it's going to be interesting. This is it. This is it. And I'm not drinking since Ben's double fisting. He's got my drink. So <laughs> I'm, I'm what? Double, double fisting. You heard me. I said what I said. Okay. Okay. Started early this week. Um, David Lee here, and I'm not on the uh, rum and coke tonight, but I have just finished a cup of tea. 
I might have to sneak <laughs> off and, uh, uh, and pull myself on though and join Calvin. Is that for the uh, David? Is, is that, that because in in light of the Indian connection? Is it uh, a Darjeeling? Good point. Yeah, a... yeah, actually, that's just what I was going to say, Ben. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's the <laughs> it's the T. It's the the Indian connection. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, everybody got Leo ready to go? Sure yep. do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Should yeah. point out, this is the first film that was released with Leo the Lion in front of it. It was, um, because the logo had this unwieldy thing, MGMUA something or other. So you saw that first, and then you saw this rather plain United Artists Presents thing. Yeah. One, so. one of the um, retro reviews I was picking up on last night was somebody pointed out that the new thing about this James Bond film was having MGM in front of it. And if that's the only new thing, then, oh boy, was the review. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh dear. Uh, yeah. All right. Everybody got Leo ready to go? Ready. Mm-hmm. You're on deck. You're on deck, Lisa. So, oh, here yeah. I am. All right. In three, two, one, play. All I wanted was a sweet distraction for an hour or two. <laughs> if this academic thing doesn't work out, that's my music career right there for all. <laughs> I'm not sure the lips moved quite to time on mine. I was trying. <laughs> Canadian torch singer in Oklahoma. I can see it. <laughs> Belts out the Bond themes. <laughs> I, I actually, I know it gets a lot of uh, flack, uh, but I, I, I do like the, the that theme. Um, I was about to say, one, I'll, so, I'll repeat myself. Uh, it's John Barry. It's not Connery. So therefore, we have strings. We also have Roger wearing a pair of trousers. That's enough material to make three pairs of trousers. <laughs> this, is, this is one of my favorite um, pre-title sequences, it yes. has to be said. I love the fact that here we are in in just outside of London, um, and you just stick a couple of palm trees in. Yeah, the classic the classic James Bond way of kind of making this is supposed to be, I guess, Cuba or something like Cuba, um, somewhere in Latin America. Somewhere um, in Latin America, um, and, but and, and I, here and we I have love that. this. Somewhere in Latin America with oak trees in the distance. Yeah. Right. I do, <laughs> I do like this this costume change, this reversible military. Um, I think this whole infiltration is is fantastic. I really like it, especially the way that this hat, this cat, soft cat, turns into this rigid kind of right. Anyway. And here we have ripped Bond. off seventeen year old assistant. Nice. Seventeen. <laughs> yeah. Yes. yes. Um, oh. Just to put that into perspective, that's a 39-year <laughs> difference between them. <gasps> wow. Yeah. yeah, so, so, when, so, when, he, so when he says, I'll father. see you in Miami, and, uh, if you have that knowledge, it lends a sort of darker yeah. perspective to the yeah. proceedings. Wow. Well, that's fun. Uh, that, if, you that reversible... about, if you want to read more about underage casting in the James Bond films, wait for our special later this year, right, Bill? I'm, I'm good. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, Tom Cruise there. ripped off the reversible costume in, in when he blew up the Kremlin. He did, yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Often you see that there's there's these little kind of borrowing moments from uh, Bond movies. Yeah. I I genuinely think the whole production design of this sequence to to make this place look, uh, you, you know, like a South Latin American. Um, oh, this guy, by the way, is a guy called Ken Norris. Uh, he was um, Roger Moore's uh, stunt double and stand-in in, uh, on The Saint. 
Um, that's why he was kind of picked for the, yeah. the role, uh, so that when they stand side by side, they genuinely look like one. It's to kind of like boost the idea of uh, Moore's ability or Bond's ability rather to kind of be this kind of uh, great uh, infiltrator. So they do yeah. look quite alike when they stand side by side like yeah. this. Hmm. A lot of Caucasians in this uh, Banana Republic, huh? That's right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Because this this would kind of be rift in Die Another Day. So mm. there we go. We got that Die Another Day reference out of the way really early. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> handled. I have is to she, say, is she uh, old enough to drive? No, and that was a, that was a, that was an issue on the production. <laughs> Only in the God. US, she would be. You can drive yeah. at sixteen. Yeah, yeah but a, this is all the well, shot. And she didn't know how to drive either. Apparently, oh. <laughs> this is this is the backyard of Pinewood or something, right? Uh, it's the airfield that they shoot all airfield sequences in. So Goldfinger is shot there. Um, some of um, The World is Not Enough is shot there. Um, yeah, so anytime. Oh, God. We just want to tell these guys she's jailbait. That, that guy, one guy definitely doesn't care. <laughs> That's true. Why are they wearing parachutes? The, 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 yeah, cameraman, the yeah. cameraman needs to be reminded she's jailbait the way he's oh, no. photographing her. That is that is a great uh, way to get rid of some some baddies though, and this mm-hmm. and this look uh, by Moore is just fantastic. You know, just uh... Uh, I'd have to say the child in me. I watched this a lot when I was a kid. There's something about this pre-title sequence that sort of has it all that can really grab your attention. It's got yeah. easily identifiable, like you understand he's sort of trying to be somebody else and he's infiltrating. You understand that. Yeah. I love the the scene here when you have the horse and that being sort of the decoy. I love the small plane and the action. Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, pre-title sequences, mm-hmm. but I think it really mm-hmm. sort of holds up minus the casting of a 17-year-old. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a little bit disturbing and I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head uh, around that and the fact that she is actually being presented as being an adult and she does mm-hmm. look a lot older than being 17 but i think this is something we always need to keep in mind is the age difference between bond and potential helpers or love interests hmm. mm. i take this pre-title sequence over the whole of never say never again yep <laughs> yep yeah i i i genuinely think that this is such a well-crafted well-written uh pre-title sequence as lisa says it's got everything uh when i saw this movie with um you know, at, at Pinewood with Maud Adams and John Glenn, we stood at the back and we were like, should we just watch the pre-title sequence and then go? <laughs> so <laughs> that's kind of what happened. Everyone kind of stood at the back and just they kind of like, we all kind of eased our way out of the cinema. Also just how complicated this sequence is because you're alternating between UK dressed up as a Latin American country flying sequences yeah, done in sure. I think California with that. Roger Moore and the, if not the studio or outside a studio whatever so it's just yeah no Bill it's a really good point the way that they've uh, kind of cut all of these disparate pieces together to really create uh, uh, you know you really you you don't ever feel like you're not in the same place um, and it and it works very well together. I was at a screening of Moonraker where uh, John Richardson, special effects guy, mm-hmm. was uh, one of the panel doing a Q&A. And I asked him the question of sort of like what what shot in his career, yeah. you know, sort of makes him the most proud. And he said it was this shot of the jet coming mm-hmm. out of the 
uh, warehouse because it's just a perfect combination of foreground miniature mod, like all these different things, and it's just so mm. seamless. It works really, really nicely. And the hundreds of tiny little bits. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the hundreds of tiny bits glued to that model just to blow it. Yeah. It's magnificent. Isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, that foreground miniature as well. The idea of doing that um, closing door uh, as a, as a foreground miniature is just—it's so genius. Um, you don't pick up on it, mm. uh, and you and you just don't see foreground miniatures used anymore because you know you've got CGI. You can do everything like that, but I, I think it's a lost art. I think it is. The original um, idea was, of course, in the first draft of Moonraker and Bond tilted his mini jet like that between two, two cliffs and then the fighter jets following him crashed into the cliffs. So that was sort of the general idea. So here we have the jet still tilts. It just goes through a hangar. I remember seeing a preview of this. It was on the Today Show in the US and uh, they showed a clip from this. I thought, what are they doing? And I didn't even know about the foreground miniature. They didn't tell you how they did it. No. It was just impressive just watching on TV. It's such a it's such an impressively done um, stunt, and they did they did another great foreground miniature in Fury Eyes Only. Um, you know when it's going through back to the warehouses with the helicopter, a similar a similar shot. So, how many people working on Never to Never Again that was in post when this came out went to see this and were like, oh shit? <laughs> um, well, they. Um... They probably had an idea of what Howard was going through Howard Hawke's mind in 1962 when he was briefly interested in doing Casino Royale for Charles K. Feldman. And then he saw Dr. No. It's like, no, no, forget <laughs> it. I'm out of here. I'm out. <laughs> Where do you guys land on the standalone pre-title versus the one that's tethered to the main plot? Hmm. It depends I, on execution, like, folks. Sorry about that. I, 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 would, I would say that I like it to be relatively standalone its own little adventure maybe the end of another bond film that we didn't see but yeah. that has but that has perhaps a a droplet of of something that connects it to the to the rest not doesn't have to be a, a, a main kind of plot point but just something that just rolls it into the next mm. thing so well, view to kill yeah exactly yeah. that Thunderball is relatively standalone, except, I mean, the only time it comes up later is that's why he's in Shrublands, because he has that bruise from the injury. Right. Yeah. Um, but that's mostly standalone. And Goldfinger is mostly standalone. Yeah. I mean, when it's done well, it works. Um, mm -hmm. We haven't had one in some time. I guess Casino Royale, technically. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I do. I just. I do. I do. Just like the the whole idea that you know there are Bond films that we haven't seen. Almost, you know that there. Yeah, are there's like a that. dozen. There's like a dozen between Spectre and Skyfall. As oh, yeah. Between Quantum and Skyfall. <laughs> <Yeah>. Untold tales. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I like the idea that we're just kind of dropping in, kind of immediate res into kind of um, you know Bond's world again, and we're just going to pick up. You know the funny thing about that theory, though, Ben, is that means that all of these unseen Bond films that we're just catching the end of have really great third acts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. By, by the way, real quick. You're showing us the wrong stuff. <laughs> by the way, real quick, they actually did two versions of the title, title sequence, one for pan and scan and one for uh, widescreen, oh. because on my VHS copies, pan and scan, and there are subtle differences in 
how the shots are framed because mm. they wanted to make sure everybody who had a credit <laughs> could read it, it, I think. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into talking about clowns, any thoughts on the title song? I know that it's been there and I know it gets woven in very romantically, um, yeah. which is why it's a little confusing with Magda and Bond because it's actually like very romantic, their, their, their sexual encounter, the way it's coded, and then she sort of disappears. Any thoughts yeah. on, on the song? I, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's a nail one for me. Yeah, it's I kind of like the natural sort of you know diminishing returns from uh, nobody does it better. That <laughs> this is sort of where we get to before they have to sort of come back with something quite different from this sort of more romantic ballady sort of thing. I don't mind it, and I quite like the tune, but it it is uh, yeah. There's no energy to the performance. For, that'll, be for five, that'll, be, that'll be five bucks for that plug there, Calvin. Good job. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, for what it's worth, uh, in 2006, they did a poll in the UK, you know, please rank the Bond songs best to last, and this came in last. Um, yeah. Because uh, on the because Golden Gun didn't... <laughs> Can we just come back to the to music in a second? Because obviously this guy's going to die, and I just want to talk about uh, Andy Bradford for one second. We can come back to the title music. Um, <laughs> he he played uh, Lieutenant Tembury in Star Wars. Um, we count thirty rebel ships, Lord Vader. Um, that's the guy. Uh, he's also <laughs> in um, Never Say Never Again. Um, so it, that kind of busts the idea that they didn't want two people in there, um, right. and. And he also uh, went on to be another Bond connection, the stunt coordinator on Fleabag. Yeah. Uh Um, You probably remember him most in in From Your Eyes Only, the film that I didn't do the uh, commentary for, Um, (laughs) which uh, where where he plays the guard that gets shot by the crossbow and has his underwear stuffed in his mouth. Was it – I put the question out on Twitter this morning, like any questions for this movie, and – was it Ben? Was it you that commented? I can't remember. No, it's like yeah. the, the start of this movie echoes the end because it's a double O agent in a clown suit getting chased by the twins in Germany. Well, it's, which is, it's a, may, which it's is a Maybomb it, yeah. thing of the going around, starting at a place and coming back to it. I mean, you had it with the man with the golden gun at the, you know, start mm. with the fun house. You end up at the fun house from Russia with love. You start with Grant killing a fake bond and then trying to kill Bond for real. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a way, Maybomb thing. It's also a way of adding tension later on when you see Bond dressed in the clown suit. You go, oh, shit, this is where 009 was at, and this is, this is how, you know, this 009 died. Well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's sort of the drive-by complainers Ooh. talk about how it's silly, but, like, that's a straight-up horror movie scene right there with that clowns being right. stalked by knife-throwing twins. There's nothing mm-hmm. funny about it. And it's um, very hammer. And clowns, clowns are inherently creepy, yeah. I'm not a big clown person. And so like seeing that, it's not sort of like happy-go-lucky. And it shows sort of the other side of, of if you watch American Horror Story and you've seen their version of clowns. Like it's it's that level of sort of horrific and 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 I don't like clowns. So we're seeing, <laughs> we're seeing the money penny scene here. And originally money penny was gonna be out. Yes, and replaced yeah. by Penelope Smallbone. No. But then but then yes. For, for a new actor. Huh. Right. Because, you know, the, the uh, James Berlin uh, screen test is this, you know, one of them is this scene. And it's like there's a line about how Money Penny has retired and the new person is Penelope uh, Smallbone. Oh, but wow. then Roger Moore came back. And so well, we signed, we signed uh, the actress. So she'll be Money Penny's assistant for one movie. Um, mm-hmm. 
Wow. Assistant to the assistant. Yeah. It always makes me sad to see the money penny scenes from film to film because there's something so lonely in between the lines of her just rearranging the furniture in that office between every movie. It's like, it's all she gets to do. At least she gets to stand up in this film as opposed to the spy who loved me in Moonraker where she sits down the whole time. She doesn't even get a close-up in those films. No. Her little submarine office and You Only Live Twice, she didn't stand up either, I don't think. Or maybe she did. And here we are, the meeting of the St. Alumni Club. Who's that guy? Oh, uh, God, what is his name? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the sorry. name. Doug, Doug, Wilmer. Doug Wilmer plays. Douglas Patrick. Wilmer, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he was in both The Saint and The Avengers. He also and, was in, uh, well, he was deleted, the scenes were deleted from Woman, Woman of Straw with Sean Connery, um, but he was in that film with Sean, so it's a crossover there. You're a bit distant, Ben. Oh, sorry. I said uh, he was in a film with Sean Connery, but uh, his scenes were cut. Uh, hmm. I don't have anything so here to we add have, to that. <laughs> here, we, here we have um, M being replaced. We yes. talked about it on another episode, but I always took it that he was a new M versus playing the same character as right. You know, and I know Raymond Benson disagrees, but I, I think it's um, I think it's Avril Hargreaves gets the gets the nod, gets the tap on the shoulder, and moves up. Uh, um, I'm going to yeah. go on mute and dig up something. I'll be right back. <laughs> I, I I love this set. Because it's just like yes. the. I mean, not only is it just a classic Bond set, um, and Peter Lamont, you know, it's kind of definitely channeling Ken Adam here, um, but it's also completely pointless in the fact that you, you know, why do you, why do you right. have the whole thing swivel round to look at the map? Because why not just, because on why the weekends look? they play, Ben. Because on the weekends <laughs> they play bullseye. Oh, okay. <laughs> they've got, they've yeah. got, you've got the time it takes for the boardroom to revolve to come up with you. So. <laughs> I want to. I want to throw my vote behind Ben using pointless as a positive, though. I'm. I'm down. Yeah. Like, we, oh, we, I love you know, it. I know. I, nothing wrong so with some pointlessness and some silliness. It's so. It's so. When you look at uh, when we just watch Spy. Uh, and that that you know okay. the, the bullies, pri- b- bullies prize board is coming up. I think it's fantastic. It's a, it's it's a lovely set. It, it definitely has Ken Adam kind of overtones to it. Sure. Um, Circus. And I, 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 yeah, I think uh, new shapes. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I think it's definitely um, you know that like Peter Lamont kind of often gets. Um, thrown under the bus with like his production design, you know, compared to Ken Adams. But this is yeah. this is really a great set. It, it does remind me of the Thunderball briefing room. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah very but much. A modern, um, uh, you know, an eighty-three version of it. Hmm. And also, you know, the fact that like a lot of like Russian subway systems and stuff like that, they use a huge amount of of marble, and they are very opulent. So you know, this idea that like Russia equals austere and kind of gray and dull isn't actually that kind of true so i think it's kind of playing into that notion it also kind of echoes a little bit the war room uh, that ken adam designed for uh, dr strangelove 
So I think there are lots of influences going on there in this in this scene. Um, there's also some fantastic overacting going on. Yeah. Can, uh, you say, can I just say it's 2020, and if you were to make a corporate boardroom where the lights went on, up and down, the projector came on and off, and the t- cha- chairs turned around and you automated it, you'd be a hero. Because <laughs> nobody can do that still. <laughs> One thing that I, that I really love about this scene is, is it's got the lofty goals. I think that's, you know, how are we going to retain mm. power? So you have the massive map that is visualizing for us, you know, what the plan is, and it's this big room and I think what it does is it shows us there is the potential that there is sort of money and influence and power and I think it raises the stakes they're not in some bunker somewhere mm-hmm. uh, but they might have the resources and I like the conflict here between sort of nope. the, the dubs red and telephone. Oh, red telephone and I think it's just, I think it's an interesting dynamic of having differing opinions and we're at a very mm. specific time um, in the cold war trying to understand what the future or visualize what the future could be and it showing us that there's different ideas of where um, things could go geopolitically and bond is obviously going to play a key role in making that determination. So I think, I think the set actually raises the stakes of. Mm -hmm. of Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Just a quick question for you, Lisa. Um, Obviously. uh, Hey, (laughs) Um, so uh, one of the questions that was posed on, on Twitter is, is this a, a genuine kind of cold war film? And I, I think it's easy for people who didn't grow up in that time to kind of not really understand the geopolitics of this of this mm-hmm. era. Um, so, what is your kind of what is your kind of take on on the fact that this is is this a cold war? Uh, oh, by the way, just before I get to answer that question, that guy there is the guy that was in uh, yeah. the Living Daylights and gets his face rubbed in the in the ladies' boobs. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I think it definitely is a Cold War film. And it's a film that when I I have it on my course and I teach it to my students, I have to actually explain the geopolitics. I have to explain why the pairing of, you know, um, a Soviet general and an Afghan prince, why Mm -hmm. that at the moment would have been considered sort of uh, a controversial yeah. I, I was gonna say confidential yeah. controversial yeah. at the yeah. time and so yeah. i think that's something that gets lost on a lot of people is these are films about the time about the moment and you can watch them in a vacuum but if you understand the geopolitics then again the stakes get raised a little bit more this isn't just about eggs and and you know some 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 jewels this is really about world power and who gets also to sort of heed the influence also, in real life, there were demonstrations. There's a line about this in the film, but it's correct. There were demonstrations, frequent demonstrations in Europe, mm-hmm. and yeah. I think the United States basically calling for disarmament. disarmament. And, yeah, we had it um, in the UK too, Green and Common. Um, yeah. yeah, and no yeah. nukes. And this, yeah. and this, and this script, this story plays off that very, very much. So, yeah, I mean, it's certainly. You had that to you had that also with four year eyes only. Starting in the eighties, they kind of got back into the Cold War after kind of kind of putting it off to the side for the most part. And on this week's episode of Bargain Hunters, Will Kamal will make back his two hundred pound investment in the air. <laughs> uh, obviously, uh, we get the Fleming reference with uh, property of a lady, mm-hmm. um, and this and this whole sequence is actually. Uh, kind of very Fleming-esque. It's taken from the short story Property of a Lady, uh, where Bond um, is able to identify an agent through, through uh, outbidding. Right. Um, 
We're, we're catching, of course, our first glimpse of Kamal Khan, who in the script was, at least the script that I have, described as being in his early 40s, and he was cast mm-hmm. with Louis Jordan, who was in his early 60s. <laughs> After passing on Hugo Drax. Yeah. Is this a set or a location? Are they actually at Sotheby's or no? It's a set. It's a set. Pretty uh, good set. I, yeah, it's... I, I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that, but um, if uh, it is... Peter, a, Peter Lamont had gone to Sotheby's, and, uh, uh, but that came rates. into play when designing yeah. the set. Yeah. Um, Can we take a moment just, to talk about how amazing Louis Jordan is, though? The late Louis Jordan? Mm. I mean, he. I know that we talk about the way that he says, says octopusy a lot. <laughs> um, but I think that there's... He does, at least again in my memory, play probably one of the most compelling, believable villains where uh, he's not too lofty in terms of his goal. He's not too extravagant in terms of, say, his personality and mannerisms. Um, but he's somebody I actually find which to be quite compelling. I, I put him up there with Scaramanga, which we haven't uh, uh, seen yet. But I feel as though they're sort of at that same level where they're kind of relatable in in some way, shape or form. And, and that maybe makes them I don't know if that makes them, I, I can connect better with them rather than someone who's like, we're going to go to the moon. However, a bit of fourth wall breaking here with the Bond Street. Um, <laughs> Kabir Betty, who played the henchman, though, was not a favorite of the casting, feeling that, uh, well, Louis Jordan's a French guy. He should be like an Asian guy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's like, wasn't his call, so. To, to answer your question, Lisa, I think the problem that I have with um, the villains in this film is that they basically you've basically got two villains, um, and the main villain is the one who just wants to have um, some uh, money, um, and the sort of subsidiary villain is the guy who wants to kind of take over the world, um, and in a sense, you know, uh, all of. Um, kind of plan is is really the driving force of the film is the is the genuine threat and he should really by by that token be the front and center villain um i've and never I thought that about that some, but you're 100 you're yeah, right ben but it but you get a kind of and, and when you get the, the the kind of a reveal of 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 what um you know lewis jordan's character is doing which is just like, i just want the the plates to print some money <laughs> it just kind of it, it, it kind of takes all the wind out of the sails, and it and this is why I think this reminds me a little bit, or, or I should say, uh, um, you know, the Living Daylights has a similarity. Right. It's because you get split villains that really have two kind of separate agendas. It's a little scary. And it's hard. Way, yeah. to, and it's hard. By to the get way, find, so something. Something very quaint. Bond said he had fifty-five minutes to catch that flight. Fifty-five yeah. minutes from the in, from downtown London. <laughs> yeah, okay, you, you don't get through security in fifty-five minutes. Yeah. I guess he doesn't need to. Can I go back to something that Ben just said? Because I I understand what you're saying about like the doubling of the villains. But now that I'm thinking about it, there's a lot of doubling that goes on. You have Magda and Octopussy, the doubling of the love interest, where one sort of is in the foreground, background. You have the doubling of M or a potential M or future M uh, going on and taking place. There is a lot of – you got the twins, who I think it's an interesting concept to hunch people, not like Kid and Wint, where there might be a relationship, but these are two brothers who are connected. I just feel as though this film has a lot of like doubling going on. Well, you're just about the idea to, you're actually just about first to came up it. with um, 
the idea first came up with the Spy Who Loved Me, where they had triplet killers mm-hmm. in one draft, and they uh, trying Tick to find right, but try actually trying to find triplets all who can act. Yeah. It's a little daunting, so that idea was put to the side. So here, though, they actually did find twins. Hmm. So here is here is another kind of twinning. Uh, you've got VJ, uh, who is uh, Bond's contact. Um, he was a, a, I believe, a late casting to this. Um, yes. And Albert because... Moses uh, was originally cast uh, uh, as Bond's contact. This is the guy here. Is he's showing Bond into yeah. the head, of head of station? Basically, basically, his character was split into two. Yeah, so that VJ could VJ could get. And so, so it's will interesting. VJ. You, so it's interesting. You listen to this. The lines that they say to, to to Bond are basically the same piece of dialogue, just kind of cut between two people, huh. um, which is quite an interesting. Hmm. Ben, um, can I ask a follow up question to that? Yeah, if he's if he's late casting, give me some context for how that shakes out because he's in James Berlin's screen test. So how late did they oh. get Roger Moore? If that's um, the case, well. It was beyond the. I'd have to look up the date, and I don't have it in front of me. The first Maybaum Wilson draft done after George McDonald Fraser had come and went has just the one character, and that would have been like roughly sometime mid nineteen eighty two. So the three hundred plus page script <laughs> that was delivered by him. Yeah, um, I, I I was handed that. Uh, script uh i i want to say it was peter lamont and he handed it to me to have a look at which is very kind of him but he wanted mm-hmm. it back afterwards <laughs> he was like you can have a look at this but i want it back but it was it was like a doorstop of a of a script it's kind of interesting <laughs> um what's what's um also kind of interesting about this is that obviously we're seeing these very opulent powers um but then it's, this the, it's, the, of, it's the white people hotel in india yeah the white <laughs> no. people hotel. but it's but to that point james this is the this is the first time that um you know how Robert many suits does Bond seeing, bring with him on a mission <laughs> six suits however many scenes he's got <laughs> one for each day. he read you the know. script i mean yeah. <laughs> but this is where bond this is where sorry roger um you know, got got his kind of uh, passion for working with children um, and children's charities, and most notably with yep. death because of oh, the, wow. the poverty that we saw here. So that that I think it's interesting that we get this contrast of glamour of, of India, yeah. um, and and we're not seeing the poverty of it, but yeah. actually the poverty of it is what caused Roger to do so much great work for charity. Mm. And do you think that it's not just a socioeconomic difference, but it's also like the remnants of colonialism because like you said it's the white people hotel and you see a a huge critique that i do have again i love this film but a main critique that i do have is the way that bond sort of occupies those common places in space Mm -hmm. the way that he you know disposes of people's livelihood and he's destructive in those spaces um i think there's there's a critique to be had to have you know sort of the white british man going through india and, and utilizing things like that yeah, and they haven't obviously been back to India since. They were going to do the pre-titles to Skyfall in India huh. right. um, and before it moved. Um, the Craig era has shown bits of poverty, you know, the, the mm. intro to Casino Royale running through, you know, the and Bolivia and Quantum Haiti. Yeah, so it would be interesting to see how they would – London. It would be interesting to see how they would do it today. But given the regulations, the – governments usually put on filming like we saw saw mexico in 
um, the start of Spectre, but you got to see the Mexican government version of Mexico. Yeah, that's part of what I'm so curious to see about Jamaica in uh, in No Time to Die. Yeah, because the little bits that they've leaked, there's certainly a lot of local flavor in there that uh, it's not the glamorized version of the Caribbean that we've been seeing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and it'd be very easy to to go to Jamaica and make it very colonial because there's you know obviously a lot of that architecture that remains there. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, if you do go to Jamaica, you're going to see you're going to see a lot of poverty there, and yep. um, I think it's you know it's good that they're going to kind of reflect that. My uh, my daughter's uh, boyfriend is from India, and they watched. Uh, they did a Bond marathon. He said, "I want to." He wanted to talk to me about it. I thought, "Oh, he's he's going to want to talk to me about Octopussy." But no, he actually wanted to talk about Doctor No. He was a little puzzled. And I explained to him. I said, "Well, actually, when they filmed it, it was still a colony. It yeah. was like it got its independence by the time the that movie year. came out in the fall." But uh, and I said, "That's that's why." That's why you have those white guys running things. It's still, <laughs> still a colony. Um, this 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 whole scene smacks to me of like Fleming's thrilling mm-hmm. cities, just like the English yep. men going into the local you know ex colonial club in whichever city is in in the Far East or the Middle East, and it's definitely got that. The rich locals it, and it? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and coupled Gin with and the the. Uh, um, you know the playing of backgammon and the cheating at the game kind of thing it's it's yep. kind of it's it's Fleming backdrop with a Fleming kind of narrative and yeah this always reminds Cubby me of, Cubby Cubby the, of, of, of Bond against Drax in Moonraker in, in the book Moonraker yeah. when uh, mm-hmm. when he sure. faces him and, well and and this is one of my favorite scenes in the film and then of course he does that bit with oh player's privilege I shall <laughs> use your lucky yeah. dice I wish it went on for longer because they don't really they don't there's not much back and forth it is just kind of he takes the dice and then he wins with obviously Yeah I, I, I think it, it's a, it's over a bit too quickly I I agree yeah Yeah it could be four hours later. He does use Drax's line from Moonraker though. Yep. Yeah, that's I, right. I also like I also Spend like how he's not looking quickly. down on the board when he rolls the double sixes. He knows yeah. he did the so double good. six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Double six. Look at that. Um, and then I prefer cash. Until he fills the whole check out, which is I was going to say, and, and for, the, for the kids watching, this is a check, and yes. you used to be able to write money. You used to be able to write <laughs> to money. Bank. And they turn it into money for you. Mm-hmm. I just love that, though. He's like, I prefer cash after he's literally finished writing it out he's like, you <laughs> ruined the check for me as well um but yeah no it's i, I think also the fact that the roger was uh, uh, you know often playing backgammon with um cubby and yeah. for, for quite substantial sums often uh, i wonder um, if he said that's cubby too that he preferred cash <laughs> I prefer five percent. There's that there's that great shot of uh, Roger in Pure Eyes Only where he's holding the clapperboard, uh, you know, for the to see where he shoots at lock and then he flips it over and he's like, Cubby's down, thousand dollars or whatever it is. <laughs> Ten thousand um, dollars. Uh, here we are somewhere about casual racism. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, uh, let's face it, James. It's casual racism about to segue into full-on racism. <laughs> um, you know, we're we're, we're not going to just warming warming the audience up with some courage. Yeah, jokes. Just, yeah. Oh. yeah. about to ski down problematic mountain. Oh, yeah. oh. just picking up real speed. Quick, yeah. going, real quick, going back to the uh, um, 
auction scene, one of the characters was named Zek, C-E-C, and Donald mm. Zek was uh, Albert R. Broccoli's ghostwriter mm. on his autobiography. I assume mm. that's not coincidence. But. Right. No, I shouldn't think so. Um, they did a Pierce Brosnan uh, yeah. advert with uh, him in a tuk-tuk, which I think... Was it uh, Visa or no, MasterCard? I, I can't remember. I'm not going to promote either of them. Uh, <laughs> Cheers. But, the, spen- the sponsorships are just shedding off this podcast. <laughs> I'm so good at uh, We're going to have to crowdsource soon. Right. Anyway, I was about to say, I, I, I really do like VJ, and I think he's yeah. one of the better um, sacrificial lambs, and uh, particularly that, that close-up when he's got that big smile on his face as he's putting the tuk-tuk into gear. <laughs> it's just, I mean, just, oh, he just gets see, across the idea. He's having see. a lot of fun. Yeah. But then we're about to see the bike. We're about to see the bike going between them. Yeah. Uh, there was this com- yeah, the, the, like, um, the cyclist sort of extra that was it. not told, right? Right. Yeah, but this is this is a stunt that isn't a stunt. There you go. <laughs> 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 that was just that was just literally a normal person just cycling down the street. When oh, I guess they're filming a movie. I'll just go right between these two people. But uh, back to the point about. about- about VJ, which I think is a really important point. Like when you ask fans and when I've sort of posed questions about, you know, favorite, you know, uh, connection and friend, you know, most tragic death, VJ comes up pretty high. Mm-hmm. And there's yeah. something about um, this character, the way that he's acted. Um, I don't know. His death in this movie, spoiler, it happens, but it actually, like, it makes me really sad. Um, I, something about him compared to others, just the way that he's crafted and performed that. He's so likable. Yes, yeah, so yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and about a minute before he gets killed in the movie, I suddenly like, oh no, Fiji's the sacrificial lamb. No, and yeah. then like, no, he is. Oh, well, like, it's like the guy, I, the guy three rows behind you in the cinema is like, oh god, because <laughs> I don't think I don't think he's a particularly good actor, but whatever his natural sort of charisma, chemistry yeah. are as a person, that really comes through, and he's just so yeah. likable. And there's zero the, gravity the, um, associated with his character, which makes the death like a little more of a, a hard turn, I think. Mm. There, the um, the late the late director Sidney Pollack once said that there's a um, conceit among actors. Any actor can play any role, and of course Pollack had started as an actor. He said, "Not true." And mm. there are just some roles some people can't do. And you know, VJ is not the greatest actor. I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against that. But there's just something about this innate likability, and it's yeah. just like it just it's just there, and it's. Yeah, that's I don't know. It's 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 part of it's, why then when he dies, it's it's you know it's a noteworthy and get, death. No, and it's interesting that Albert Moses, uh, who uh, you know was going to play that role, um, you, you know doesn't come across as necessarily as, as and this is no kind of discredit to, to him as an actor. It just he doesn't come across with that same kind of likability. Yeah, charm. I mean, I, I think it's comparable to Pedro Amandares in, um, you know, from Russia with Love. That kind of just you just can't help but like him. Yeah, um, yeah. And and it's and it, and you can see it coming up here when Bond gives you know ask VJ yeah. for the money and and just. And then they just—they both are just enjoying the moment, of throwing so, up the yeah. money. So, and- so if you didn't spot it when they got off the tuk tuk and were on foot, that was all at Pinewood, and then they got back on the tuk tuk, we're back right. in India again. Mm. And uh, also, just it's interesting that um, Albert Moses 
if I remember correctly, had uh, argued for full pay. So he got his original salary. He got he'll he'll get to keep, keep contractually keep his part as well, which was uh, it's good good, pay, good payday to him. And I'm happy for it. As did as did uh, John Gavin, and he had to do no work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I do. I I I don't. That whole sequence, I think, um, although it's a fun little action sequence, is just riddled with a lot of problems. And I, I think uh, one the, not related to the racism. The problem I have it is the big burned-in translated subtitle "Get <laughs> off my bed," which is just Ooh. so weird in the Bond series Ooh. to have that. It's, it's not even very... a good joke. <laughs> it's no, not really. No. Like... Big. They, they, they would have been better trailer. off just stripping out the subtitle, just seeing that he was yeah. mad. Yeah, <laughs> just let your imagination fill in the line. Yeah, yeah. Our, um, our second um, James uh, James Bond Star Wars crossover with um, Smithers, played by That's Jeremy right. Bullock, Boba um, who played uh, Boba Fett, um, <laughs> who who I had the pleasure of having a drink with one day. Um, yeah. So it's just a shame that in this franchise they didn't spin off a whole canon about his character, Smith. <laughs> like they didn't start. Yeah. DJ was gentlemanly. He put his flowers on the uh, woman in tennis. Um, yeah, uh, this is interesting uh, because obviously a lot of Star Wars and a lot of bomb, you know, the bomb films are doing are being shot in Pinewood or in the UK. So you do get a, a really large number of kind of Star Wars crossovers. Um, with, with actors and we're going to see some later on and I'll keep them as a surprise for you because I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure that some of you will go no way when I tell you uh, am I mistaken or wasn't Lobot from Empire Strikes Back sort of the, the faux Blofeld in Free Eyes Only true? <laughs> um, I don't know John but Hollis? possibly um, I'll look it up also in Free Eyes I believe that's true also in yeah. Free Eyes Only uh, Apostis uh, the guy that falls off the cliff instead of Bond um, it is Red Four uh, uh, in the uh, Yavin attack. So you've got quite yes. a few kind of. Um, also, just one more thing about VJ. There's almost, almost like a protege relationship here. He's like, Emmy, you know, Q even says, like, you know, don't let him teach any of your bad. Don't let mm-hmm. him yeah. teach, yeah. you know, his bad habits. But, you know, it's, you know, compared to other sacrificial lambs in the series the guy in majesties for example like not a whole lot of emotional connection there Mm. luigi in for your eyes only not a whole lot of emotional connection there but here Um, there is some i just realized i really need to get a high res universal exports test pattern that's right (laughs) i want that someone has made that right i need that um yeah there's an investment made in vj and he's just so friendly and charming that it's almost it's very mean spirited when it when he goes because he doesn't go painlessly either. <laughs> no, it's no, the and then later in the in the Berlin sequence, there's that kind of indirect uh, reference with the driver says no problem because no problem had been VJ's yes. catchphrase. Um, what the hell was that thing with the boobs about? By the way, <laughs> I, was, um, well, it, yeah. I think it relates to that question Women you asked uh, on a Calvin. previous. <laughs> sometimes people like to look at them. I, I did hear that podcast where you're asking about straight people and yeah. boobs, and it's the rumors are true. Uh, okay, that's uh, yeah, that's 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 one reason there are strip clubs, uh, for example, mm-hmm. um, and advertising. Uh, 
an advertising. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> Uh, it just seems like such a crass sort of oh, like horrible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really oh, crass. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there's. <laughs> You're not I didn't say it was Kelly. good. So do you think that it is actually – so one thing that I've talked about when it comes to Octopussy is that it sort of reflects one particular movement of second-wave feminism. So second-wave feminism ha- uh, is in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and there's all these different movements within the second-wave umbrella, and one of them is actually separatism. And so separatism is a movement where women decided to pull themselves away from patriarchal society and go live in communes away from men under the idea that the only way to truly be free from patriarchy is to live with other women. And there are some branches that say the only way that you can be free is to both live with and love other women. And so this film really does reflect this separatist movement by having, you know, strong, empowered women living on a colony island away from everyone. And as a young girl, I love that idea. I mean, I love the women of Octopussy. I'm like, I can be an entrepreneur, I can fight and so forth. And so I'm just wondering if those images of say, like focusing in on the breasts and and doing it in, in I guess a boyish, playful way, but it's still kind of sexist. Um, if that's a way to sort of maybe balance or counter or temper um, the the rep- the other types of representations that we do get in this film. Um, well, I, I guess was, I would. Sorry, Please, ben. Uh, go. Bill, yeah, no, what well, uh, I was going to say that um, I think that yes, it does absolutely represent that, and it's one of my favorite. One of the reasons I love this film as much as I do. I would say that. I don't think it's necessarily put in there to balance or or temper uh, these things. I think what happens is that people get stupid ideas on the day. Um, <laughs> you get a, you get a, you it's get the a really, night. It's the opening night gag effect, right? It's yeah, like, it's, it feels like a good idea at the time. And you get this this great story with this great idea of you know uh, presenting women in a particular light, and then somebody says, "Hey, do you know what would be really funny is if you zoomed in on the boobs." Yeah. And somebody on right. on, on the yeah, day they fun. went, "Yeah, that would be really good." So I don't think it's necessarily a conscious thing. I think there's often there's so many disparate people kind of involved in these things that yeah. Yeah. I mean, I spoke to one of the sound designers on. Um, uh, you know, when, when, when they talk about the whistle effect on a man with a golden gun, I was just like, fuck, that's terrible. And they're like, well, I thought it was a good idea. And you just, <laughs> and you realize that a lot of these things are kind of put in just because somebody thought they were a good idea to put in. Yeah, there's no accounting for taste. Lisa, can I go back Hi. to your point for a second? Because I'm curious if, I wonder if you're giving them too much credit here because uh, your second wave feminism example I feel like no sooner had that become a thing than it was being parodied and exploited by sort of the male-dominated Hollywood society. There's so many exploitation movies where it's like, you know, an island of women who answer to no man. And and this feels more of a piece with that kind of thing where it's it's a, a kind of an oblivious male's spin on it. Even if that even if that wasn't your takeaway, because ingestion is yeah. ingestion and you know, death of the author and all that. But I, I wonder if if uh, this is them taking the piss as they say of the right. concept itself rather than trying to give the concept it's it's you know fair space yeah. in the in the narrative and by having bond be there and sort of be able to i don't want to say infiltrate but occupy this place the space and really be the only acceptable man i think that it's utilizing that um and mobilizing it in a bond film for the benefit of bond right uh, 
So it, turning maybe this progressive somewhat progressive, I put in quotation marks because I think different people have different opinions as to whether that's a progressive step, sure. taking a quote unquote progressive movement and then crafting it or mobilizing it for alternative purposes. I think it's an interesting concept. And just to add to that, if we really want to problematize this, the fact that you have it's predominantly white women setting up a separate mm colony that's wealthy outside of India. I mean, there's a lot of criticisms of white feminism. And this could also be a film that is reflecting the fact that these movements really were oftentimes about white women setting up these colonies um, mm. in India and other places and being exclusionary towards, say, the local women. So right. because there's a lot going on here. The white women would have the resources mm. to do this sort of thing more than yeah. more than uh, yeah. less uh, advantage. Can, yeah. Can I just point yeah, something out? I was just realizing that scene that we've just seen play past, which is like, hey, Magda, can you go and wine and dine Bond, sleep with him, steal the egg, come out the window, and then we'll send our guy to knock him out anyway? <laughs> yeah. I mean, why not just like, skip all that and just knock him out? Yeah. Uh, well, that's true. Um, I guess and we it's, don't get it's, the suspension from the window. There's two things in life that I want to learn how to do. Number one is is to open a safe, crack a safe with like a headset. Sure. And the other thing I want to do <laughs> is be able to like exit like a location from a second floor window by like tying and wrapping something around my body and sliding down. You lead but a I, very exciting life if those <laughs> are the two things. You can put those together and just break into second story banks. Yeah. I know what? If you hear about a streak of uh, uh, robbery, Cat burglaries. Oklahoma, <laughs> it was me. Cat burglar PhD. Yeah. I think, I think uh, to your point, James, um, it's basically a good idea to have two plans at any one point in case one True. fails. Okay. So yeah. I think, you know, that's well, always maybe Bond should take a leaf out of that book. Oh God! This is so <laughs> this uh, this is so pink. This whole room, I, I you know, salmon, I, I, salmon pink. It's just <laughs> awful. And I like the way that you know, like they're they're giving they're giving octopusy the kind of same kind of mysterious build up they they sort of gave uh, Connery uh, before his yeah, introduction. Yeah. You know, yeah. like these are bleak these are bleak shots to kind of and and this comes back to what Lisa was saying down, earlier. Down. You know, do. Yeah, expensive mm. gown, one of ten. Um, one of seven. <laughs> I, I, I'm wearing one of them. The other eight. See, they should have um, made thirteen, shouldn't they? They missed yeah. a trick. <laughs> or eight. Um, Octo, eight. eight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. Yes. Oh. Yeah. There's something Blofeldy about this too, though, eh, Ben? Like, where you didn't see Blofeld for three movies or so? Yeah, and yeah, he's feeding and, fish. And yes. this, mm. is, this is what I was trying to say, was that it ties into what Lisa was saying before about you know, it's not a parody of, uh, of feminism in any way. She is actually being set up as very well respected by both, um, you know, Khan and Bond. They yeah. both, they both Ma- consider her to be very formidable. Ma- Maud Adams pointed out uh, after she got cast that she was, it, this is the first female title character. Wow. Yeah. Mm. In the series. Yep. First mm. or only. That's it. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, 
And she's also like the really the first woman to play a central character in more than one film. And I think maybe that's part of the surprise or the reveal. Like we've seen her in, well, not on this podcast. We will see her in Man with the Golden Gun. And then to see her come back in, uh, I think, a different role. I think a more empowered role, um, I think is a really interesting flip. And I like the secrecy because it positions her like, is she a villain? You know, is she the mastermind? And and I do question her positioning in this film. Uh, in real life, she had also done one of the James Brolin screen tests. Yes. Like Rush with Love Scene. Right. She's and, uh, well, that, I was going to say, that's. Uh, I, I don't know how much they went out of a way to get her. They had her in doing screen tests, realized she was a pretty good hider. Same with Miriam Darbo, right? Yeah. Wow. So yeah. they just hired her from, oh, can you come in and do some screen tests for the other guy? Right. And, yeah. and when she went in to do that, as far as she knew at the time, it was just going to do screen tests. And then mm. all of a sudden she's getting cast as lead in the movie. But it's interesting that they often will take people uh, and use them in other other uh, films. There's there's a few people uh, in Octopussy who go on to, to be in A View to a Kill. There's a few people in Octopussy who go on to be in um, The Living Daylights. Okay. Um, there's a so, few, few people from Fioras Only who go on to also, being opposite. We so. should also point out that the last but one episode we did, the spoiler mm-hmm. me, we're joking about Michael Billington getting killed off in the beginning so that he couldn't come back yeah. as Bond. Well, he screen <laughs> tested for Bond. He screen tested for Bond for this. Yeah, they brought him back for another screen test. So Bond now is in the third scene in the movie. Is... Which would, can you imagine the code name theory bullshit that would have kicked off? If... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but. Um... Yeah, it's it's it is interesting how you get a lot of kind of Bond alumni kind of coming back in different different roles and you know playing playing different characters. I think it's acceptable, um, perhaps not as Bond. Um, and I think if Michael Billington had come back, I think that would have made you know come, been cast as Bond. That might have caused a few kind of yeah, because he would technically would have killed himself. Yeah, it would. Yeah. Uh, which would have, uh, to Roger Moore's uh, point, raised a few eyebrows. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to steal the joke from uh, from James from last week. Um, this this reminded me this whole dinner scene, and I'm sure everybody else uh, agrees of the the the, the banquet. How presumptuous of you, Ben? Well, I'm going to presume um, <laughs> of um, uh, you know Temple of Doom. Oh, never crossed my mind. The, yeah. Really. No, I'm oh, kidding. I always kind no. of <laughs> conflate these these two scenes. You know, I, I kind of expect him to bring out the chilled monkey brains. And yeah, yeah the, reason I, Kamal, the, the reason Kamal Khan's so trim is because he has three bites and then they take his plate away. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say monkey because uh, Magda had like what one fork for right. the souffle. Oh, take it away. <laughs> and like, and like, who the hell's one want wants to eat sheep's head? Um, it's actually yeah. really good. But to your point about the your point about Indiana, that's a boiled egg, by the way. Yeah, boiled egg. But to your point about the Indiana Jones, I mean, it is. There are a lot of films in uh, the early late 1970s, early 1980s uh, that are focusing in on India at this time, and so you had the Indiana Jones film, and they are clearly referencing and tapping into. Um, uh, these, these other texts and there's there's a crossover between like a lot of the films that are happening at that time so yeah I, I could definitely see the play off of it or, or connection I think Lisa you're right that, that there is a kind of a um, you know a connection to India in terms of kind of action adventure and I think it ties into the kind of 
our colonialism, really, um, uh, which is not a, necessarily a good thing, but you do find that there are a lot of um, kind of uh, action-adventure kind of heroes, particularly of that kind of time period, who, who, who were in India having their adventures, and it seems to be one of those kind of... It, it's a byword for both exoticism but also kind of mystery. Uh, da- mystery and danger and, and all the rest of it. So, I, you know, this, this to me does kind of smack more of, say, something like King Solomon's Mines than it does, mm. um, you know, James Bond at this point anyway. Um, and, I, and, I, and I do think that this is one of the reasons why I had such a lot of problems with this film to begin with is because you do have this kind of rich, exotic adventure here with the, with the pigeon. <laughs> Um, uh, but then you also get the kind of the, the gray brutalism of, um, you know, Cold War Berlin. And it's that those kind of two disparate, um, things and two separate stories actually, um, that make this so tonally kind of hard to reconcile. Well, Um, in fact, I was, I was going to agree with you because the, the, uh, scene set in Berlin are like much more serious than the scene set in India because mm. we haven't gotten to it yet, but we'll have the Tarzan yell in a little while. Mm. And, uh, and the set. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think that like somebody mentioned it on Twitter and said, can you explain the sit thing? It was because there was a famous dog trainer in the UK whose name temporarily escapes me. Um, Barbara was, oh, Woodhouse. Woodhouse. Woodhouse, Barbara Woodhouse, and she would say sit, and she would throw her hand up in the air like a kind of a pseudo Nazi salute, um, huh. and uh, yeah. and that would make the, the dog sit down. Um, so I think for a lot of people at the time, that was uh, that was an again an opening joke. night joke, an opening yeah, night an opening joke, joke. Yeah. exactly. Marco That's Connell. so cool. I never knew that. That's ah. Uh. I always thought yeah. that delivery was so strange and uh, particular. Yeah, it, it, it was. It was the thing that everybody said to their dog in that tone. Sit. I still. <laughs> I still do it. I, I'm trying to teach. I am trying to teach my dogs to sit at the moment. Um, they're having none of it. Um, they just look at me like I'm. I keep throwing this kind of like camp Nazi salute and going sit. And, <laughs> and anyone yeah. looking in the window. Must just think I'm fucking lunatic because they just see this guy standing there. Well, whenever I'm just disappointed. I'm I'm disappointed (laughs) that they didn't linger on those like pineapples at the end of the banister. Like, yeah, we're going to be seeing that later. (laughs) Foreshadowing. Chekhov's pineapple. criticisms that's kind of leveled at this is a lot of people don't understand what what are the yeah. fake fakes and what right. are the real ones because it's not kind of necessarily tracked that well throughout it um and it's it's kind of sad in a way because you get this you get the sense that people are kind of like this this plot's very convoluted i certainly think this plot is extremely convoluted but it's not if you actually sit down and go the living daylight says hold my beer 
Yeah, I think they're about equal. But when you look at it on the surface of it, they're just going, well, they're using they're using Octopussy's uh, smuggling network to take you know fake uh, jewels through across the border, but they're actually just switching it with a bomb. Um, that no, that they're taking real like, jewel through the. They're taking the real jewels through Octopussy's network. Yeah, they're putting the fake jewels into the. And they're replacing with replacing with fakes back in Moscow. Um, But when you lay it out, like on you know very simply, like it 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 makes much more sense. But uh, watching the film, it's just like, is that the real egg that he's smashing right now? Are they putting the? I mean, obviously it is the real egg, but I think. The Hence the reaction. Different. Yeah. From uh, from Kamal. Because uh, yeah, he knows well, it's the real one. Yeah. Um, I, I do like how Bond's gadget and the radio kind of like acts up and isn't completely yeah. reliable. Hmm. And he has to move around a bit. I, I, I find it amazing that they managed to find the bug in it because it just looks just like a part of the egg, really. I mean, look at that. Yeah. Hmm. Um, he should have had a, a, got, a flashing LED on it or something like that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's because Louis Jordan's got like crash zoom eyesight. He has got crash zoom eyesight. So amazing. <laughs> this guy's doing a great job of just not blinking. Um, <laughs> looking. There's, there's some nice, I have to say, John Glenn throws some kind of nice little tension moments uh, mm-hmm. into this into this film. And he does it. It does it pretty well, um, you know. It, it does. It does manage to create a. I wouldn't necessarily hitch, say Hitchcockian, but certainly by the time you get to, uh, you know, the, discovering the bomb in the cannon, you you know, there's some there's some real there's some really great t- tense moments. Um, and, and you, you could literally where, edit about five minutes out of this movie, and it would be a taut thriller. Five. <laughs> I think um, I think there's a lot that that can be expunged from this that is thrown in because I think it's what they think the audience want you know we don't do you know at the time people kind of had these expectations about what they were going to get from the bomb film you know crash zooms of boobs uh, you know, well, it's kind of like it's kind of like the pendulum swung maybe a little bit too far in Fioras only. So now they're putting it back mm. towards the middle, a little more colorful. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, really, in a way, because I, I, I feel like it's often the things that that they they think are going to be crowd pleasers that actually kind of detract from the film. Um. I'd love, to, I'd love to see your fan edit, James, really. Well, I mean, even this it. chase sequence, you only have to take out the silly gags. The spider. You know. <laughs> and it's only a few seconds. The booger yeah, booger. That's about to yeah, I, I think that, that that's throughout the film. I, I think that, that's one of the things that puts me off about the film. It's just the, the silly moments. If you got rid of those, it would be far, far better. I'm I'm coming in here and defending the silly moments. Yes, me too. (laughs) I love them. They make me laugh. I think they bring lightness to a much darker plot and a lot of violence. And like, I'll take a Roger Moore eyebrow up 
you know, uh, uh, witty line, you know, Tarzan growl over some of the seriousness we get from other Bonds. So, I mean, I... I, I, I love it. I think it's funny. I, I love I, to laugh. Now, now you said that, though. I, I'd love to see, love to see uh, Daniel Craig do, um, do the eyebrow raise at some point. Yeah. yeah. Maybe that's what he meant when, they said, when he said there were still some things he wanted to do. Yeah. Yes. He, he always he says that, but then they never do it, though. I mean, uh-huh. it's like, because like this one line, I don't know how many times he's repeated this thing. Okay, now Bond is Bond. Now we can do anything, including a crater in a volcano and it's like really but seriously it. you're, you're but trying to solve this again <laughs> uh this is so, so real bad. tiger yeah real good, real good, roger moore good thing he's got the <laughs> safari <laughs> shirt on <laughs> fake he, spider he dressed for this chase scene 10 minutes ago in the film <laughs> yeah <laughs> you think about it i love the fact that that you know it is yeah exactly he is kind of like um you know, in, in, in literally in kind of safari, casual yeah. kind of like you know, cam- camouflage. He reverse engineered it. Yeah, he did. But this whole sequence is actually, it has a degree of tension to it. And so, I mean, and, if you just take out the sight gags, you're, you're good. Yeah, I think, I think it All is right, quite, fake quite tense. Oh, uh, fake tiger. <laughs> Real it was tiger. like the Maharana's uh, stuffed yeah. tiger. They put it in yeah. a wheelbarrow and, and then Pushed shoved it. it. Yeah. I love it. I love. What I, do you mean I love it. I can't. I can't. Like, it's kind of like can't believe that worked. Kind of look. Um, I love it. It's so funny. Well, I love what he says when he so gets on the to... boat about the tour. Like I'm part yeah, of yeah. the tour. Like, that's a good line. No, that's fine. Good. That's, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. So but in that's, the... but that's that's the point is that you can punctuate something at the end when you've built the tension up. You can release tension with a comedy moment, right? But you don't. So in you don't in the you don't script, do it during. yeah. In the, in the script coming up, it in the stage directions it says Bond is kind of swinging on the vine like Tarzan. It doesn't say there's a Tarzan yeah. yell. But obviously, at some point, someone got the idea. And of course, at this point, MGM had its complete film library, which included the Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan movies from the 30s. So they, you know, it was theirs to use as they wished. Yeah. So, yeah, Colin Miller. Just because <laughs> you can. <laughs> just, sound be, sound just, just because you can doesn't mean you doesn't should. Mean you should. I did. Well, yeah. Understood. So uh, that, that again is one of those moments where, like, um, you know, I've, I've, I've actually spoken to the people responsible for this, and, and yeah, people like Colin Miller are, are quite happy to put their hands up and go, oh, I thought it was a good idea. So um, he needs more supervision. <laughs> well, this is the this is the thing about the process of filmmaking. All of this stuff has got shot and done right, and then you kind of get it back into the editing room and it's just two guys over like a couple of weeks and they're the Some only unhinged Foley guy. Yeah. It's just like, hey, basically no supervision. And they're like, hey, I'm going to go out and get a sandwich. You want to put a Tarzan yell on that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You should have made that the Tarzan yell or the uh, lion roar. Mm. You're not going to add that to your wishes, Lisa. <laughs> no <laughs> i still think it's awesome i yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm with lisa i'm gonna but, think with this ship like i think it's i think it's funny and i think it's light i don't think it detracts at all from the actions being told he's mm-hmm. doing a tarzan 
jump. So might as well just sort of throw it in there. It's, I do also get a bit of perverse joy out of like a lot of this stuff is clearly Roger Moore himself, like sweating, like shoving. Yeah. Like, right, Roger, yeah. could, we're going to film this scene. You're going to be underneath an elephant and you're going to be <laughs> unhooking the thing. And he just looks so uncomfortable. Oh. And he's got this punched run through a lot of it. And I do get some kind of perverse joy out of seeing him <laughs> through this. I, 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 I was about to say, I also, you follow up the. Yeah, earning his you paycheck. follow up the Tarzan yell with Bond <laughs> having to burn off a blood-sucking leech with his lighter. So it's mm, like yeah. you, you do go Take from one extreme to the other. You know, oh, Michael J. Wilson. Well, he didn't. He didn't have a Are bag of salt in his pocket. Revisiting um, these things with you guys, like I, I have not been giving Roger Moore enough credit. I don't think in terms of, you know, he's really game for so many of these things. They stick him <laughs> underwater, sucking air out of a tire, and you know, yeah. there's there's a lot of it that's not a stunt man. You know, to his credit, mm, yeah. he's he's going I, for I just, it. Uh, what's the Cincinnati Moose Lodge Thirteen group? <laughs> I just spotted that on the boat. It's a uh, tour group. That, it's the American Cincinnati flag. Moose Lodge we'll have to Thirteen. Look that up. Um, is that like a um, uh, free not Freemasons? The uh, probably. Yeah, um, I, uh, yeah I, I think to Calvin's point is that there's a difference between say um, Daniel Craig going, "I want to do my own stunts," and you see him run a, running up a crane, and he's kind of right. you know focused and intense. Whereas Rogers is like, "Oh God, I suppose I could do it." Oh Jesus, get in that, get in that water, Roger. Oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Get inside that crocodile. I love it. It's right. amazing. It's so like it's you wouldn't think. Like when you think about war pageantry, this is the way you infiltrate an island is by being in like a crocodile sub. Like it's perfect. <laughs> so, so when they when they did um, when they did the uh, uh, vehicles of uh, like the the, uh, the vehicles uh, exhibition of. Uh, James Bond, I can't remember what it's called now. Um, I want to say something like Bond in motion. Thanks. I was going to say driving 007 or something like that. But we uh, we went to the we went to the opening of that, and of course they didn't have any of the like the kind of the barricades around any of this stuff. Um, assuming that Bond fans were going to you know act with some be form. respectful. Yeah. Um, and, after, and after about uh, six free champagnes, I was like, I'm going to stick my head in the in the Oxford <laughs> crocodile. Um, so I've, I've got somewhere a picture of me going like feigning, you know, distress as my head is stuck in stuck in the uh, stuck in the croc. Um, I wonder where you had those, where you got those scars from on your forehead, though. <laughs> <laughs> I do like this as well that we, you know, I, I'm I'm a big fan of the show not tell school of kind of telling stories, you know, filmmaking. Um, but but we do get um, what is essentially kind of bonds. Um, Kind of ex- it's, 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 that, the, it's the Cliff Notes version of the Fleming short story here in two yeah, minutes. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, this happened and then this happened. Um, I love that short story, by the way. I think Octopus is a short story should be filmed somehow. I don't know. It's going to be impossible to get the rights, and I know how all that works, but it it's, is a great little short story. So, so you have to wait till 2034, man. 2034. <laughs> Yeah, it's right. so explicitly autobiographical. It feels like of about Fleming yeah. being a being a burnt out old man, and like, even the house sounds like Goldeneye the way they describe yeah, it. Absolutely, in that story. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And the way that and the way that he goes, you know, he makes friends with that octopus, and it kind of 
mm-hmm. sort of betrays him in a way. It's it's there is so much of Fleming in that that book yeah. and uh, sorry in that short story, but also it is it's not a it's not a Bond story per se. It does it's it's got like quite a, quite a tragic anti-hero. Really, yeah. you don't mm. like him at all, and you know he has acted despicably. So, but also he is. We're all agreeing that Fleming killed a German at some point and was confessing to it, right? <laughs> <laughs> that that's where he says confession. His deathbed confession. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought about um, it that far. <laughs> pretty detailed. I don't know. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it and it comes to full manifestation here with a nuclear explosion in, in Berlin or, or or planned one, so you know, is it is that the kind of the ex- escalation of that? I killed a, a, a gentleman to Berlin gets or wherever the, the wherever they are. It's a it's a fictional German be- uh, town, isn't it? I can't remember. I have to make a poster for that one as well now. I think um, this is a nice suede uh, fishing top. That's one thing you really want your uh, coat that's going to get right. wet to be made of. Um, <laughs> it does look like he's about to go fly fishing. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just you should put some pens in there. Actually, it's quite a Star Wars kind of thing. Like maybe, like maybe if you had those little imperial kind of rank designators just kind of stuck in the little loops there, just as a kind of a Star Wars. Like he could, like if you could put him on Endor right now, he'd blend right in. <laughs> Um, you know, there's a lot of 80s nostalgia and people have like a stereotypical 80s look in their head. But Maude Adams here is like what a grown up woman in the 80s looked like. And it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Who, did, does anybody know who her dad is in the photo? No. Uh, I'm sure that's somebody what? from the production crew or something. But Oh, right. I thought oh, you were going to tell us. Yeah. No, nice. Thought you were be like, Thanks for nothing. Like 50, 20 points. <laughs> he, right. looks like a, he looks like a Columbo villain. I don't know why. And Louis Jordan was a Colombo villain. I'm so surprised we haven't. I'm surprised we haven't had the recreation of the, the blue powder suit with the lapels from that uh, photo. Why? Why? Because it would be brown. It wouldn't multi- be blue. Multiple uh, octopusy kind of uh, onesies like that. Um, you know, mm-hmm. that, that could be the Olabra Brown Next spring, satin, brown. red satin onesie. <laughs> I um, love one. Nowhere to hide. <laughs> no pockets. No. This does not look like India. This looks like kind of Bristol <laughs> of the, uh, right. uh, you know, like, are you be looking for a boat to take you to the <laughs> You know what it reminds me of, Ben? It reminds me of the Brian Blessed Blackadder episode. <laughs> I, that's exactly what I was thinking about, Blackadder. Look at her, sail around the world. They just stay in the channel for three weeks. Nicholas <laughs> Captain. Aldrich <laughs> Pay the Man. Oh man! Yeah, this is this is kind of Indiana Jones territory. Um, you know, his uh, what's her face is kind of like Marion's kind of picking up some glasses in the background. Hmm. You know, um, it's like that kind of Nepal. Like I mean, you could intercut that, and no one would. Uh, nobody wants Good this. Nobody oh, speaking, wants this. Speaking of fishing. Yeah. <laughs> How did anybody see each other? Because if they're all wearing the same color <laughs> and they're all 
against a kind of a beige background. I'm surprised anyone just like it would just be like these floating heads. <laughs> well, they've, about- they've been painted brown as beige as well. So. <laughs> question about Q. I get that Q is there sort of being backup for Bond, but like if Q is one of the most brilliant minds mm-hmm. that MI6 has that's doing mm-hmm. all of the gadgets, you would really let him be the lookout on his right. own for Bond? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would you risk one of your best resources? That's something that, right. and I get yeah. Jay died so let's, that he lives, the, but, uh, let's just the, remember we're in India, so you put your old white guy as the lookout. He's not going to be conspicuous at all. What's he looking at? Yeah, I was, about to, I was about to say it's the same reason you send your first science officer and your uh, uh, lead doctor on the away team, mm. right? Um, sure. It's like, shouldn't you guys like be back in the ship while the more expendable guys go on the away mm-hmm. team? But well, there's a very back from his fitting at the costume department. <laughs> to have them hand him yeah. this filthy rag to wear. <laughs> like, what did you get out of your uh, James Bond costume? Oh, I've got this kind of dirty white linen thing. You know, <laughs> this looks like a painter's drop cloth. Actually, when Roger Moore died, uh, VJ Armitage actually did one of the more touching tributes on social media. He, yes, he did. He did a tweet and included a still from this film from Aww. back when they first met. So, uh, yeah. And he yeah. uh, was very kind to be part of our book as well. I can believe that, uh, you know, Phil, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Bill, because I think that, you know, it's not just a question of them having kind of on-screen chemistry. You really get the sense that they, they did get on. I, I don't know where that comes from. I think, you, I think it's just, um, I think it's what makes BJ such a, you know, well, he also went on to be a UNICEF ambassador as well as Roger did. So oh, okay. she just she just said we're two of a kind. Did that come first in the script or the song? Ooh. Pride oh, I don't know. Come on, guys. Because it was That's written song later. Yeah, no, we're not experts. We're just people sitting around getting sure, drunk and sure, watching sure. a film. Is this a test? Because I'm, I'm not good with trivia. <laughs> I'd like to pass. Call a friend. <laughs> So uh, I spoke to Peter Lamont about this bed and, uh, you know, because it's, uh, in this film there's probably kind of a couple of standout um, sets, which is one is the, obviously we've talked about the Russian boardroom and the other thing is, is Octopussy's bed. Um, and, you know, I was expecting some kind of like real kind of design-oriented right. answer around it. Um and he went, well, I kind of left it to the art department to do, um, you know, they did it and they kind of drew it and then it kind of, you know. So I think that was his way of saying I didn't really do anything on it. Um, right. <laughs> in in uh, in real life, she accidentally uh, hit him below the belt as she twirled. I've seen the, I've seen the outtake. <laughs> you know, oh, it's not, BJ's it's about not, to get it's killed. Not, um, Oh dear, yeah, this rickety uh, bridge from uh, Zorin's mine <laughs> is. Whoa! Was that guy hiding underwater that yeah. Yeah, whole time? Yeah, just holding his breath, just waiting. Like, shall I let him get a fish first? <laughs> he was tugging on the line to keep him interested. Mm. <laughs> oh no! Not good, not good. Nobody likes this. Uh, the film just got 
Bond just felt the disturbance in the force. He did. Right, yeah. yeah. He jumped up because he knew VJ died. Yeah, he, he's he's got a kind of psychic connection to him. To his... All right, so uh, two films in a row where canaries get startled for impending doom. Yeah. Interesting. There's a lot of POV shots in this movie. I, I you hmm. know. Uh, we'll probably get one now. Yeah, there you go. I wonder if um, uh, the 007 store will sell that octopusy bed or replica for about 500,000 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of one. One of one, yeah. Oh, dear. Three people to take down a whole army? That's not very... But they're girls. Okay. <laughs> well, they're they're not they're not trying to take over that take on the, the army. Logic. They're trying to sneak in and kill Bond. It's a, it's a more of a stealth thing. Who has more Aquanet in their hair, Roger Moore or Maude Adams? <laughs> <laughs> Look at that! Look at that! That's Trump levels of hair sculpting yeah. happening right there. It, it it is both of them, um, and they're, <laughs> they're exactly the same color as well. I wonder if they share their okay. dye. They are the yo-yo guy, you will see a close-up of him. You'll see his wrist is all bandaged up because I guess he broke his wrist or injured it somehow. But he, you know, Practicing stayed in the yo-yo. film. Yeah. I believe he that genuinely of- injured himself falling off this balcony, maybe? Or something mm, like that. Uh, yeah, that could be. There was a bit of a unique, you only live twice there with the yes. um, trip down. The, you know, to... Although he's kind of subconsciously aware of it and you only live twice, it was just a nice kind of... Uh, I think that's a nod. I could be wrong. Yeah, I'm I, it, it's always way. seemed like a nod to me, yeah. yeah. I like this weapon as being sort of like sort of like an odd job hat. I just wish that the character connected to the whatever this thing is yeah. was actually more developed. Because I think it would he would make for a, like a really good developed hench person. Like this is, or if that was, they Gorka, you know, like that. They should have given it to Kabinda. They should have, you know, mm. yeah, yeah. They, or, that would have made for a more compelling character. Or if the three I, I guys had their own blunderbuss. Yeah, it should be his signature weapon, and that would make a lot more Oof. sense. And you know, he should have said "sucker." <laughs> <laughs> we- Missed <Pussy>. opportunity. <laughs> mm. yeah, there, there he is with his bandages. <laughs> Octopus, water, just words. Sleep, sleep with the fishes. <laughs> so we're coming up to a bit now where. Uh, we've debated this in the past and another episode. Okay. I Does always thought, <laughs> I always thought that. Um, well, I, you guys tell me. There's a so there's a real crocodile, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I I just assumed that the real cro- the real crocodile, you know, ate the henchman and Bond just got away because the crocodile was busy. Yeah. Oh, but, but, I was but, no. I took it as that was Bond's uh, yeah. gadget so, crocodile that is like on some kind of Homer or something. Yeah. And Bond <laughs> is killing the henchman whilst the crocodile uh, making it look like the crocodile, and then he goes off. By That's himself. a lot. Wow. That's a lot. Oh, wow! 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one's now fake well, again. Well, That's what I that, it, well, to add on to that, I wondered if like maybe Q like activated something like ah. needed needed to bring it, it on kill. It's like you've got it. A, it, 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 it kind around. of bent. It curved. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really it's inconsistent. Yes. <laughs> but uh, really, what a Bond movie inconsistent? No. 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 
You can make a crocodile ship move like that, okay? Like, cue no, that well, then, Okay, then. If you can make it move like that, why does it remain stiff every time that we see him in it? Because as soon as as soon as he's in it, it doesn't it loses the flexibility, doesn't it? It's all ah, there we go. Yes, that's it. David's fixed it. (laughs) Also, also, if if you can believe a man can navigate a crocodile sub, then every every detail after that is kind of superfluous. That Calvin is saying that it was on, it was his remote control <laughs> crocodile yes. submarine on, yes. like being sent out to mode. retrieve him on yes. a, I on attack mode yeah. to kill the you, you, you got, you got that. Yeah, you got back. Got he was supposed to relieve VJ. He saw VJ's body. Damn, I got to get Bond back He's, here and sense so he crocodiles up. But but then we cut to Berlin to this super serious Cold War thriller just after his remote control alligator has yeah. killed the henchman. Bond Bond whiplash baby. <laughs> and, and we had and, and the driver used VJ's catchphrase, no problem. Very and then you had that true. little John Barry music to remind you of the serious part of the sequence we just saw. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But you know Bond is still thinking about VJ. Don't he's laugh still, about the crocodile. He's still dead. He's in mourning. <laughs> Is that another double O agent? <laughs> yeah, that's double O nine. Oh no, double O ten. I always thought it was really interesting that that you know, like Fleming had from like zero, at least zero to ten to kind of do the double O's. But like when he decided that he was going to say, oh, there were there were two other double O agents. He didn't go. 006 and 005 he went 0011 and <laughs> you know 0013 or whatever it was it's just like that's a really random yeah. pick for numbers 00953 <laughs> <laughs> really, really going through them this year but that's what my students always ask they're like how many double o's what happens after nine do double o agent numbers get recycled and i think we'll find out in no time to die that probably they are but that that always is a question about the coding like do you have 73 of them lisa they're definitely recycled in the novels right Mm -hmm. and and in the novels they are not limited one to ten they go beyond that although fleming initially said that they were only Three of them. Double double O eleven was missing in Singapore. Yeah, exactly. And then you've got the ten double O agents that you see in Thunderball uh, because Bond walks in. We we assume they're all double O agents. Well, every double O agent has been called in, is what Money Penny says, and then he walks in and sits in chair number seven. In fact, she says every double O man in Europe, specifically, or what? Are there are there even more beyond Europe? I don't know, but uh, Hmm. that line in Thunderball, she specifically says, "Size of that guy." He's huge. All right. Oh, I'm Hmm. I'm nearly ready for my um, mysterious uh, mysterious. uh, It's uh, Richard Graydon. Star Wars people coming in. Well, before you do that, that Richard Graydon is yeah, uh, Francisco the Fearless, yeah. the veteran yeah, stuntman who had Dicky Graydon, one-time yeah, Catler. He did the hand-over-hand <laughs> hand, uh, sequence for Honor Majesty's Secret Service, and he also did the uh, falling off the side of the um, 
cable car and uh, right. Moonraker, Moonraker as well. So right. yeah, he's, he's fairly well. And and he may have been the cat burglar who got caught giving Elf Joint the uh, chance to Goldfinger in the pre-titled. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Capungo. Um, oh, that's who that is. So, uh, yeah, apparently. Uh, Alf Joint is is uh, Capungo instead of um, instead of. But it was supposed to be Graydon, and then Graydon oh, got yeah, arrested. Yeah, he got caught. You could have told me this guy was Aubergine, and I would believe him. <laughs> oh. <laughs> He's got the stash. <laughs> um, oh no! I, I forgive me. It's not until we get to to later on in the movie that you see you see my nice Star Wars. Uh, um, you know, when they get to the U.S. airbase, you'll see a couple of uh, Star Wars. Bond infiltrates as a roustabout. So it, it was dark when Bond arrived at the circus. Mm-hmm. So was it happening either at night or early morning? And it was at night because now he, uh, he got dropped Calvin, off. haven't you been to those pre-dawn circus? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's, a, it's a circus. It's a very popular thing in Berlin. There was a, <laughs> there was a weird, scene where Bond weird, got dropped off, and it was there'll be night. weird daylight changes later as well at the mm. palace. Get, where, no, because I'm, I'm just trying to make sense of uh, Octopussy Circus's uh, operation with its uh, sort of packing up, doing early morning circus, packing up, going across the border, and then doing a mid afternoon <laughs> showing. I guess <laughs> it's the matinee. They're really, yeah. they're really not very good business people because they're just doing all the. <laughs> they, they, so don't, they never perform in prime time. We have to be up at three a.m. to go to the circus. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all your kids just yawning in the front because Camel Khan's in the same suit. I guess they could have gone back to the hotel or whatever, but it's just, yeah. How yeah, dare he ma- wear maybe, the same suit again? Yeah, no, but he hasn't got the same suit. He's just got about 300 of the same suits, and he just... Right, they, they all look the same. Or, or, or actually, actually, he just has, like, multiple uh, sport coats, uh, sport mm. jackets. He wears the are same you, pair of black pants. Are you, ready for a, you, are you ready for a Star Wars cameo? Oh, no, it's not quite, quite yet. I think it's always coming up. The guy that puts the bomb in and, and explains to them how you know to stay yeah. at least twenty miles away. Uh, he is um, the the general who comes up um, with the uh, plan to destroy the second Death Star um, yeah. in Return of the well, Jedi. He's well, Scottish, also, I believe. He's in Luther, I think. He's Luther's com- boss in that show. By the way, he compare says, this to the atomic bomb in Goldfinger. It's like, you know, make sure mm-hmm. you're 20 miles away and all this stuff. Whereupon in Goldfinger, you know, they activate the bomb. It's like countdown is three minutes. Like three right. minutes. It's like, I don't care how thick that vault is at Fort Knox. <laughs> you're you're going to get evaporated. You don't have... Same detail there, fucking but. train line in Wales or wherever it is. Again, love that they shoved um, Roger, Roger Moore underneath the train. Like the dear life, it's great. I think it was did, did Prince did, yeah did Prince Charles visit the set? I think it was Prince Charles. Somebody visited the set and, and saw Roger doing this, and they said, "You, you don't earn enough money doing this, do you?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hanging underneath the train. But uh, I wonder. If yeah, I mean, yes. I was say, I mean, we made jokes. We made jokes during the spy. I love me about you know stunt doubles and that. But like you know, he gets put through the ringer through all sorts of stuff <laughs> all around under the train again. Um, all right. So Ben and Bill, you can't hear each other clearly because you're talking at the same time. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, ben, I think it was you that need to refresh. 
I thought it was just me. I was just like, I hear two voices. I just thought they were being really rude. I'm not. I'm not hearing Ben at all. By the way, he's, he's gone. Uh, he's re he's reloading. Ben reloaded. Calvin, you're coming EA. to today. Jeez. <laughs> I'm just giving you it. like deep belly laughs. Oh, good, good. <laughs> it's, it's the rum and coke. Calvin, it's what right. the rum and coke. It is magic, David. It's really yeah. good. Uh, it's what counts for exercise in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> Lift <Yeah>. wrists. So we're hearing John Barry's music, and of course, Barry had been offered Never Say Never Again, but he came back for this out of loyalty to the Eon team. Oh, could you imagine if he'd have done Never Say Never Again? That would have been the, yeah. There would have been a reason to watch it. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait for that watch along. (laughs) Silence. I, I mean, I'll I haven't do it. seen it. I haven't seen it for for so many years. I I I think I was still living in the UK when I, I last saw um, Never Say Never Again. So on Twitter, Garrett asked, um, "How do the hosts feel about actors return to the franchise in different roles, like Maud Adams does in Octopussy? Who mm-hmm. would you envisage in the role of Octopussy if Adams hadn't been cast?" Ooh. So this made me go through the archives and dig up who was under consideration, including Persis Cambata, who was in Star Trek, the motion picture. Um, I'm assuming with hair for this. Um, Barbara Carrera turned it down because she quote, wanted to work with the real James Bond. It's like early shade. (laughs) Wow. Early shade being thrown down. Um, And Bill will know this because we're working on this thing together. Uh, Sybil Danning was um, approached and actually did interviews about the potential that she was going to be cast as Octopussy in Octopussy. Also, Sybil Shepard. Hmm. Sorry, Sybil Shepard. Not Danning. I love the script. Danning was in (laughs) Actually, I just got them mixed up. Both. Yeah, both. I got them mixed up. That kind of roster points out like just how they'll they'll kind there there's not an elitist thing about casting for Bond. They'll take somebody from a, a low budget world and put them in here or a high budget world and put them in here. It's it's got its own sort of it's immune from a lot of like uh casting tracks that you'd see folks on, I think. Like a year before this, Louis Jordan was in Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's it's just so interesting how how the 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 Casting process is blind to where somebody might be in their career. They don't cast enormous names, obviously, but the names yeah. you just listed are they were all doing different things in their careers. It's really kind of fascinating to me. And it's hard to look back. I mean, we talked about this when we talked about the casting for Vesper Lind. And you watch a film mm-hmm. like Casino Royale and you're like, I actually can't envision somebody else playing it because I think that that it was in, uh, that that Eva Green embodied it in the right way. And for me, you know, Octopussy is synonymous with Maude Adams in my mm-hmm. mind. And mm-hmm. I have a very difficult time trying to envision somebody else really embodying this role. 
Yeah, I, I think it's only, it's only when somebody does a really bad job that you and you yeah. think, oh God, right. so and so could have done it better that that it, that you can easily do that because then somebody tends to somebody else tends to spring to mind. But uh, yeah. yeah, somebody does it better. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody does. Nobody does. <laughs> Hmm. But uh, I, I love the repertory energy of, of seeing the same faces in a, in a new spot. Um, they don't, you know, they don't do it anymore. Obviously, you yeah. Mitchell got killed in Venice in Casino Royale, and then he yeah. showed up again in Quantum. But- wouldn't, wouldn't that be fun if they just got like a dozen actors, right? Yeah. And and they they do a Bond movie, and then they all switch round, and then they do a different one. And then yeah. they'll switch around and they do a different. So it'd be the same. You could film three back to back. That's uh, that was my pitch for a Knives Out sequel. It's just Daniel Craig plays Benoit Blanc, and all those same people play all different people in a different mystery. Oh, it's I the Knives that. Out rep company. Oh, that'd be <laughs> fantastic. Uh, at this point, it feels like they cast a lot of just Rogers friends. Like I know Robert yeah. Brown was a mate of Rogers and uh, whatever. It's like it's like uh, I think it was Bill who said the Saint reunion earlier on. And I don't yeah. know how much of an influence Roger had in the casting, but a lot of the times it feels like, oh yeah, no, we just cast his old friend. And especially since we recently talked about if you do a kill, where we sort of found yeah. those ties and those connections, it seems to maybe be a later career thing for. And maybe that's a way to get Roger Moore to come back and do these films, right? Like you yeah. can come back and you can be with your friends, and you know, <laughs> make a nice <laughs> reply on set. That Bond here just spins, turns around, and gets the guy right between the eyes in one bullet, and then in, in other, other sequences, can't hit the back of a door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that is it's it's quite a, a moment though when they do linger on that relatively mm-hmm. young soldier being shot between the eyes. It's, yeah, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if it's intentional or he, he was or aiming what. for his knee, wasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> That's what they were focusing. They're like, what? Uh, <laughs> they overshot the mark, Calvin. I don't, I can't imagine John Glenn on set going. I want to linger long enough that we see all his hopes and dreams fading away. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I, I feel like it is just kind of like, uh, oh well, this is the shot that we need to get to convey that he killed the man but um i there is just something quite yeah they're asking us to think about it a little too much (laughs) (laughs) yeah Mm. so this is one of my favorite it would only happen in a bond movie stunts Mm. um right sure and as a kid uh watching this i was obsessed with the idea of riding on a in a car on a railroad (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i was convinced it could happen after uh Yep. Looking at this. Yep. Yeah. They convinced me. You, you've <laughs> got to rubber out of the to, way. You've got to remember to take your umbrella with you so you can jam the accelerator. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love this follow that car moment. It's great. But, <laughs> yeah. but you're right when you talk about being a child watching this because I've had people say, you know, what film if I want to introduce my kids to James Bond? And I always say Octopussy because mm, I oh, remember yeah. some of the thrills as a child where it's like, cool, I could drive a car on train tracks. Like, mm. it, it, there's a circus. There's I don't know about the clown part, but there's a circus. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that this is like a really good one to just introduce. If you really want to select one for your kids, I'm not a parent, can't tell you how to parent your kids. But if you want to have an example of one that, that might be good for them, maybe start with this one. There's Mm. very, there are very British looking German extras there. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think we should have had more animals in that sequence and uh, drunk people, (laughs) uh, people smoking (laughs) suspicious substances. That would have, I think it would have held up better. 
I know a guy, he's in his 40s now. He would have seen this. This was his first Bond movie. He was, I guess, 10 years old. And he loves this. He still talks about it. Yeah. And uh, and then, like, I remember one time we got into a conversation. He was, like, making light of Skyfall. Because he, like, at one point, he, like, starts to try to shake me. It says, the what was that one line in Skyfall? The old ways are the best. <laughs> he said over and over. <laughs> <laughs> two, two films in a row where a guy fishing in a boat gets a surprise. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So oh. this is all great stuff, but unfortunately, um, Martin Grace, Martin Grace, like smashed his hip, leg, like mm-hmm. the whole side of his body, basically doing this stuff. Hanging off the side of the train, I believe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And smashed into a concrete stanchion because they went Oosh. a little bit fur- they went a little bit further than they usually yeah. do on the runs, which was oh my gosh, it's horrible. Right, they were on a part of the track they had not rehearsed on. Yeah, I think was and the- I, right. Flame me all you want on Twitter, but I, I'll say this: um, when you know during the Cubby Broccoli era, when that accident happened, you know he was put up. You know they give him the best care. Uh, Roger went to visit Martin in the hospital. Everybody did. Covey did, right? Make sure he was doing all right all the way through. Cut to Quantum of Solace where, you know, guy gets in a really terrible car accident. He has to sue the production, you know. Uh, not right. So um, there's been a little bit of a shift in uh, the quote-unquote Bond family values. Hmm. Yeah. You're all part of the family apart from you. And, and, and on Spectre, you know, there's been – stunt people got injured and had to sue Eon, you know, mm-hmm. rather than being taken care of the old ways. Eesh. So anyway. Well, that's less fun. There goes my knighthood from Barbara Broccoli. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, maybe it's because Barbara, Barbara, Barbara Broccoli can't cook pasta, so. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Maybe so that's what they filmed every Craig film in Italy. Oh, pretty much. Really. <laughs> <laughs> she, she keeps taking cooking lessons. <laughs> oh, that, that reminds me. This movie is her first on-screen credit. Executive mm. assistant in the end titles. So, uh, you're going to fancy dress party. Do you go as the gorilla or the clown? Clown. clown. Sounds iconic. Mm. Even if you hate it, the clown is iconic. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I reckon Bill and I both go as the gorilla. Does this count as a general goggle action sequence? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, look at him run. run. He's running. Oh, yeah, he's running. <laughs> yeah, I guess he's running. But this is a scene I actually have to explain to my class where yeah. they don't understand about like crossing the border and why he would be potentially shot. They didn't really understand. Right, and yeah. you have to explain it because, like, people today might be like, "Wait, what do you mean he's getting shot?" And- Coming soon from the 007 store, General Gogol action figure, <laughs> Gogol in raincoat, and they could, and you could have a General Ormoff, you know, with bullet holes in the back. Just Meanwhile, head, 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 head of the KGB can walk across just fine. Right. <laughs> so. This guy is still alive and still working, but he had a real run in the eighties as like oh, yeah. crazy bad guys. <laughs> uh, Stephen Burkoff. He's such a ham, but I love him. <laughs> so I, I could tell you this story. Um, Ooh, he was great. doing a voiceover work for an animated film that I knew the producer of, and they flew the crew to London for him to do his part. Right. 
And he recorded it all and they all flew back. And then he sent them an email or his agent sent them an email saying, I wasn't happy with my performance. I demand you delete it. (laughs) And then they had to fly all the way back. Do it again. Wow. He couldn't have said it while he was still there. Yeah. On reflection, now that you're back in the United States, I didn't (laughs) like what I did. Come back again. Yeah, in his contract, well, he said that if he wasn't happy, he couldn't he couldn't say it directly. It had to go through his agent. You know, once you you might have an experience and you might have some thoughts about it, and maybe you would write them down on a website like MI6 or whatnot, and then right. later you would maybe change your mind about that opinion. And if Ben was here, he would be able to tell us like firsthand. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to explain, but if Ben was here, Ben would explain it to you. Also, also coming soon from the uh, 007 store, Bond in a gorilla outfit uh, action figure. That's, yeah. That custom has to exist online. I would almost guarantee it. Well, Someone it, has it, customized the, that. <laughs> but uh, originally, this gorilla was actually going to be a Wookiee. Oh, that's fun. For real? I'm sure Ben said that. It's what? (laughs) So, um, how many gorilla suits are in the Bond franchise? Two. Anybody? Yep. Nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) There's this innocuous one and a really problematic one. That's right. Oh, right. <laughs> no, Although I just find it interesting way. based on the amount of video games I'm playing these days about how many of them have sort of train sequences where you're running, where mm-hmm. you're jumping. And I always find it interesting that early early films like James Bond and other films that they had this as being sort of like a core component. And I do feel as though like these sequences and even the pre-title sequence, it's I think they're still really good. Mm. Um, I feel as though that they really have lasted or stayed sort of the true test of time. And I'm Mm. still finding this exciting and invigorating. And I think there's something to be said about the longevity of films um, and and specifically action films still having that kind of impact years later. Yeah. Yeah. The practical element of it, 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 it's impossible to date it. I mean, somebody might, gets cynical about being able to see that it's a stuntman or whatnot, but that, that goes all the way to Skyfall and Casino Royale. You can tell right. it's a stuntman. Has there, has there ever been a more naked Bond at Bill? Because Maud oh, Adams walks butt naked out of the uh, pool. pool. Right. And then here she's like almost completely naked. Hmm. And she's naked in The Man with the Golden Gun. I mean... Tatiana! Oh no, they used a body double for that, didn't they? Uh, in From Russia With Love, behind the the curtain. Uh, I don't yeah. think so. Well, I think Danilia Bianchi said it was not her walking mm, yeah, in the, front, yeah. in the curtain. Okay, all right. Now, Roger Moore is on a train mock-up, obviously. But again, this is obviously yeah. not very comfortable to be hanging there. A painted conveyor belt below him. Which yeah. is, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks it really good. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I wonder. I wonder if this thing about him going under the train, though, is uh, was influenced by Raiders of the Lost Ark when uh, when Indiana Jones was towed behind that truck. It's ah. Well, I think in general they amped up. I think they amped up the action sequences on this movie. Um, 
this would have been the first one made after Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, Dark, I, so I, I, I remember. When, I remember when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out, and there was a there was a, a film journalist at the time, John Brosnan, who, who was quite cynical but uh, mm-hmm. quite quite uh, funny to read. And um, he, he, I like he said, to think he, we were inspired by him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, he, uh, I, I remember that he he said that he 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 was putting money that Bond in the next in the next Bond film Bond would have a bullwhip. <laughs> he was wrong. Well, I, I, I do always have to remind myself that this was before Temple of Doom, like with the whole India and the dining scene and all that kind of stuff. It's like, because you just think of Bond as, at this time of just jumping trends and whatever's mm-hmm. popular at the moment. Um, and you think, oh, well, this is the Indiana Jones one. It's like, yeah, Raiders had come out, but Temple of Doom hadn't. Uh, right. And, and when I, and I don't think of it so much as copying specific tropes, just. I just think they felt the need. They had to up their game with action sequences. Certainly, yeah. This, yeah. this one for my brother. <laughs> yes. But I like that there's like an emotional reason, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like with Kid and Wint, even though like they oh, died oh, within oh. a close proximity. I like it here, how how there's that connection. Skull mask. I'd never noticed that before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And the British Leyland truck in Germany, mm. which, you know, we've talked about this how do you feel about the circus being included as being you know a key element we've seen festivals before street mm-hmm. festivals um how do you feel about the circus itself and and what it brings to bond i i think this this is the thing that's probably going to date the movie for the next generation the most because there yeah. probably aren't going to be circuses mm. Mm. Well, Certainly you know, not Ringling, like this with animals and, and yeah. the like. Right. Well, yeah. Ringling Brothers went out of business after over a century. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty well-known circus, so. Mm. Um, I think I think they handle it quite well in, in the film. Like, it, it could be a lot goofier than it mm-hmm. is. Uh, yeah. But it is quite jarring to see, like, we just saw the bear uh, being dragged along the street, and it's just, I just wince. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I hear that kind yeah. of a sight now. It's like, oh, God. I absolutely like, you know, these micro moments of Bond that you absolutely love that are just like, you can't explain it to somebody, but I love Bond flipping these kids off. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) It is really good. Uh, I love it. Uh, when I was a kid, it, it wasn't it wasn't specifically because of the animals or anything like that. But I used to hate circuses. Mm-hmm. I used to mm. test them. Uh, so mm. uh, for for me, uh, you know, it's it it just seems very odd. Uh, I dislike circuses still. Uh, what more can I say? And I hate clowns. <laughs> I'm with I'm with you, David. I have absolutely no appeal to them whatsoever. The best quote I've heard about clowns is that adults think they're stupid and kids think they're creepy. So what good are they to anyone? <laughs> no one well, likes um, them. See, as a as a kid, like I, saw, Jackson. I saw a re-release <laughs> of uh, the Greatest Show on Earth, and uh, where James Stewart spends the whole movie in clown makeup because it turned out he was a doctor who had euthanized his wife and Oof. uh yeah <laughs> it's it's it has been it has been called the worst movie to get a best picture oscar uh, <laughs> is that wow. the one with heston yes oh yeah okay. charlton heston betty hutton right james stewart's buttons the clown and uh mm-hmm. 
Oh, and the real uh, the real life Ringling, uh, who whoever was head of the cir- real head of the circus, has a cameo in the movie. So, for the kids watching at home, this is a phone box, and they used to put phones <laughs> in boxes, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you had to use these things called coins to make it work. Yeah. <laughs> And between those kids in the car and this lady, this is like Roger's Rodney Dangerfield moment. We're just yeah. no one is just getting. Can no. I just say, like in the span of two films, they go from authentic German Mein Auto to Maca. Hey, Maca. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's the Maca double bill. Hmm. <laughs> That general was in uh, Star Wars, I believe. I don't know. Ben's feeding his bad intel from uh, the, yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. I, re- I recognise him. I rec- yes, he was in Star Wars. I recognise him. Yeah, Ben is right this time. <laughs> <laughs> he was definitely in Faulty Towers, the Waldorf salad episode. Uh, just American actor in England, a bit like Shane Rimmer. They just yeah. pop up. Like, well, hang on. So the, the that's, guy- that's a good point. It should have been Shane Rimmer, shouldn't it? In this <laughs> <show>. <laughs> The guy to Kamil Khan's right and our left is the Faulty Towers guy. Yeah. 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 And the guy on the other side is the one that gets choked in Star Wars. Oh. Yeah. He gets choked by Darth Vader. Hang on. He's like, what, 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 Your old they, wizard magic doesn't scare me, Vader. And then, he, <laughs> and then he chokes him. Oh, now I need to check if that guy actually is in Star Wars. Well, the, the, one, the one on the right side of our screen definitely was. Yes, mm-hmm. I recognize. He him. gets choked in the big boardroom meeting, right, yeah. James? I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Unless I check IMDb, I have no idea. I promise. I I will at, I will second your motion. Or I, I've had friends that have name. like threatened to like clockwork orange me and watch me make me watch <laughs> Star Wars. Yeah, consent matters, by the way. So I would never force you and tie you up. Yes. Consent matters. The guy on the left was an actor named Bruce Boer, who was in uh, Empire Strikes Back. He was in Hoth as some rebel person. Oh. uh, In the base. Okay. Yes. But he's the Faulty Towers guy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. the guy on the other side is in the first Star Wars, which you yes. could call A New Hope. <laughs> oh, I know. And he gets choked I, I, I was reading David. something today, uh, Phil, and it was saying, oh, when when George Lucas released his first Star Wars film, which was called ninety, which was called A New Hope. Said, no, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was called Star Wars. Even James knows that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah James. <laughs> Yeah, Bruce Boa played general. Not watching Star Wars on the James Bond podcast. So if there's a person, on a, if there's a person, on a, if there's a person on the Star Wars podcast who hasn't seen James Bond, they'd be like, "Yeah, that's fine." That's fine. We didn't put all these Star Wars actors in this movie. We're just coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bruce- and if you haven't seen Star Wars, you haven't done your homework. <laughs> you showed up poorly prepared for this podcast. And that's fine. <laughs> but you should have watched. You should have watched all. Look nine. at the size of the radios. As Calvin yes. points out, you should have watched yeah. it's, Empire. It's, it's, you know what? It's 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 <laughs> kids. That's something they called a walkie-talkie. <laughs> <laughs> Radio. Because you could walk around while talking in it. <laughs> but it it's amazing mobile. because if you look at cell phones, cell phones got so small, and now we're making them a little bit bigger. Yeah. So mm-hmm. who knows? Maybe we'll get to the point that that comes back in in, in mm. vogue. I wouldn't lose mine. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they might have better better battery life too if it's that big. 
So you'd never, so, you'd never be like, "Where's my phone? Where's my phone?" It'd be this fucking obelisk standing in the middle of your living room. <laughs> <laughs> like real talk, I use my phone. I have a landline in addition to a phone, and I keep my landline so I can call my cell phone to find it in my house. I am well, not lying. It's always on vibrate. I, I can't yeah, turn we, it off. We 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 have to have um, a landline. Uh, although we don't have, we don't actually have a phone connected to the landline, and uh, it, and it's like um, we know some people call, try to call us on the land. I, I don't even know my landline number. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the movie. Clown suit. Look at that epic makeup job that he did in forty seconds. <laughs> and he's so casual walking out of the thing. Like he's, yeah. I'm just gonna go off now. Oh, there we go. I mean, a little it, jog. It, it probably uh-huh. would have taken at least forty seconds just to do that little tear makeup yeah. thing. <laughs> if if James really Bond well hasn't done this outfit, uh, he should do it soon. Mm-hmm. I know everyone always talks about this. It is quite remarkable, though, that this scene still manages to have some semblance of tension, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. despite everything going on, uh, Roger Moore does it very well as well. I yeah. think he doesn't really play up the comedy of the moment. He's just totally playing it like, yeah, it is really serious, actually. Um, even though everyone around bring, him is doing goofy faces. That's a brilliant point, Calvin, because I know that Roger Moore oftentimes get, gets knocked for being sort of goofy, silly, raises an eyebrow. But in this moment when he could play it up, he could clown around, he actually chooses not to, and he creates mm-hmm. a serious moment. And I think that he's somebody in his films create that blend between that tension between like the seriousness of the mission and a bit of comedy. And so because his surroundings and his image are comedic, then his performance has to be serious to balance yeah. it out. Mm. I like, I like he has to take his nose off for uh, octopusy to recognize him. <laughs> 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 yeah. uh. That's an opportunity for the 007 store, though, isn't it? Clown noses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Shoes. No, another three yeah. years for the 40th anniversary or whatever it is of, of Octopussy and uh, clown noses. I was just looking at this with the sound off. You're just expecting some custard pies to be thrown at this point. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, it's weird that the circus performers would join in with uh, yeah. just beating up the authority. Uh, <laughs> well, carny folk, carny folk are anarchy based anyway. So. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly they're always they're ready for a riot. The yeah, they're down. <laughs> Let me go, damn it! I like I like Maud Adams with the gun. Yeah, she looks great. Like, that was a real po- a policewoman mm. move. Some Angie Dickinson shit right there. Yeah, this is where he goes. Damn it, it's magnetically protected. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he would say Not this blast. one. <laughs> blast. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Since the spy loved me, they took that protection off their nuclear weapons. <laughs> <laughs> it is mind blowing that there's a, an enormous uh, airplane set piece still ahead of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> there was actually like three endings to this film in the original script. Yeah, and we ended up with two. Which one did they cut loose? Oh, Bill, I'm you trying to remember now. God, it was. Well, was Sam Mendes working on this? <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, because they started with a script for the third act. Um, <laughs> I think. Boy, did he like end up like landing on a boat? Or something. There was there was extra stuff. Yeah, which, uh, they cut out. 
Yeah, this is the oh, whole plan. A boat. That sounds more like a Mark Forster getting involved. Land, sea, and air. <laughs> <laughs> we need another element. <laughs> mm-hmm. Plasma. <laughs> That's the full state. Gas. <laughs> Lithium. <laughs> But I have to say, like, this reminds me so much of being a kid watching the end part of this scene and just seeing these women infiltrate. And they're doing circus-like moves. They're doing acrobatic moves. I've always really They were all gymnastic. They were all gymnasts. And Suzanne Dando is a famous UK gymnast. Um, She basically trained, you know, she ran the stunt unit for the women. They're all all gymnasts. Yeah, Suzanne Dando did it. Also, Barbara Broccoli's job was uh, to basically make sure all these women showed up when they were needed in other words she was kind of kind of coordinating you know teen den mother yeah yeah she was a teen then no not quite yeah no 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 she would have been uh 22 okay yeah the thing that lets it down is the um beating the guys up it's it could have been so much better it's just a little bit like they just like thwack them with these thing and oh I'm out now. Yeah, they hit in a dainty sort of way. Yeah. I want a roundhouse kick to the head. Like you know what I'm <laughs> sorry. That's a little rough, but you know, something like that I think would have been better than just like a bop on the head, like wow. Yeah. Barbara yeah. Broccoli had graduated college just before this I movie see. went into production. So well kicking them in the nuts would work, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little effective. So this is a pretty cool little thing. And it wasn't telegraphed in any of the other no. circus sequences, which they could have done. Mm-hmm. And we're getting ready for Louis Jordan's big mm-hmm. line. Octopus. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> big word. <laughs> Just shoot him. Sorry. Right. (laughs) I'm just saying, you don't need a confrontation. Kill them and then move on. But hi. Octopussy. Octopussy. I was bringing you this. (laughs) Octopussy. (laughs) What is happening? It's not AMSR or whatever it is called these days for kids. Yes. Octopussy. (laughs) <laughs> he says i'm so, bringing you these we can make millions it's like yeah that would have been like a lot simpler than you know getting atomic bombs and- <laughs> <laughs> uh, just- true actually i never thought about that <laughs> fedex today <laughs> gonna ship them to you <laughs> bit quick but it's one of those rare movies where we go to we go to Germany twice, and we go back to his palace twice. Hmm. I remember, I don't know if it was Cubby Broccoli said or something, or whoever it said back in the day, it was like, the thing with the James Bond movies, you don't go back to the same place twice, you always keep moving forwards. Yeah. This completely turns this on its head. Yeah. Oh, and here we go with, you know, well, yeah. Q's, expendi- Q's expendable. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, out of, oh, Yeah. I, but he, he's undercover as an eccentric Englishman on holiday, on a ballooning holiday. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's, he's been waiting for a ride ever since VJ got killed. You know, he's like been stuck in India. He's Why don't you guys go burned. pick me up? 
He's got, Richard Branson's got nothing on him. <laughs> His little aviator cap. <laughs> right out of Jules Verne. I love it. Yeah. Just the internal logic behind it. I have no idea what this <laughs> is. Like, why would this be the best the mode best of transportation? Well, you know the Fleming trope of like, you're going to send bo- Bond's broken and you're going to send him out on a mission that'll either get him back in the game or kill him. Bond's on the side of the bo- balloon. Mm. Right? And now he's, now he's <laughs> all of a sudden he's... Uh, Swinging in through the window. It's such a weird moment. You just have that uh, Desmond Llewellyn voiceover. What are you doing, 007? Come back. And then he's, yeah. yeah. It's like I'm doing so- something inappropriate off stage. So yeah. cut- <laughs> I feel like something wasn't storyboarded or something didn't look good enough. Something, right. uh, yeah. Here's your, um, here's your pineapple Check. coming up. Check his pineapple. I, I love this part. I, I think too. It, I think it's just a shot well. And I think it's... It's got some humor interjected into it. Yeah. And it's his point of view. Like I'm an sorry, oh crap that would, moment. That would still hurt. <laughs> yeah, it's not enough. Yeah. It's all it's ragged. Not. He exfoliated his perineum. <laughs> <laughs> and we're literally back to the exact same bit he was in an hour ago. Uh. <laughs> But it, the, the secret stuff. to that is he was wearing all of the brown padded underpants. And <laughs> <laughs> peel cashmere covering his gooch. <laughs> so I will say one thing I don't like about this film is obviously when you hit a woman and knock her out and then decide to, you know, make her into sort of a damsel in distress who needs rescuing. And I get the logic of the film. I get that it's a Bond film and all of that stuff and it facilitates Bond you know, on a plane and all that stuff. There's just something about it that I've never truly liked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I love the fact mm. that she was willing to fight for her place and fight with her mm. women. And mm. there might be a just a different way rather than having her just be in, literally incapacitated yeah. um, and, and dragged along on a horse. The other thing is that night ray just turned into daylight. <laughs> Well, it was early morning. Like Bond looked at his watch, and it was like six forty-five. <laughs> Maybe the sun rises quicker in India. Right? I know it's an early morning. Everything well, takes place early in the morning in Octopussy. It? it really does, doesn't it? Yeah. Twenty-four hours previously, Octopussy was just packing up a morning performance. <laughs> yeah. The sun rises earlier in India sounds like a signed reading for some sort of <laughs> colonial literature class. <laughs> yeah, the sequels, the, the sequels, the sun sets on the British Empire. There it is. Mm. <clears throat> oh, this is a great sequence, though. All this stuff yeah. on the plane. It's One of the first bits to be filmed. Hmm. In August '82, I think. If they'd hired Tom Cruise, <laughs> they would have done it 118 times. We'd never Just hear the, the end of it. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> also, he's probably a teenager, so. Uh... <laughs> no, he would have been uh, 20. No, oh, yeah. Oh, it looks so good. Oh. I know that this is still a few years after they'd done the Moonraker uh, fight in free fall kind of thing, but it's it's no less impressive. It's this is crazier to me because they're hanging on. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. So as soon cool. as anything sort of goes it goes south on the Moonraker fight, however that was choreographed, they had shoots to pull. This is, you know, he's he's got to get through a series of shots here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, I feel like the, this. There's some bits say, that, that's not safe to fall off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Because you get whacked by the fuselage or the plane turning around. Mm -hmm. Mm. And it makes up for the fact that they return back. Like to me Mm. that, that I think this makes up for it. Like, it's like, okay, we have to go to this place, but really the climax is on the plane in the middle of Mm. nowhere. I just, I want to cut William Shatner looking out the plane all terrified and then Roger (laughs) pulling the cables out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. Fantastic. so we just had Kamal say, go out and get him, which apparently they liked the line so much they repeated it in a view to a kill in the mm. blimp scene. But, uh, yeah. In both <laughs> cases, the henchmen are sort of like double takes. Like, yeah. what? <laughs> what do you expect of me? I don't recall this in my contract. <laughs> <laughs> Our job would have gone straight away. No hesitation. But, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He, he might even said, ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hard to get good help. <laughs> I do like how when he whips him in the face, Bond also is Roger's expression is like ah too because he's sliding down the plane. It, it's yeah. not like it's not like he's like aha, I gotcha. He's actually terrified as well, mm. which really helps out because this is obviously the you know climactic action bit of the film. It helps to have Bond sort of in this kind of uh, yeah physical strain. <laughs> Sorry, I just said that as Roger Moore's just <laughs> hauling himself along something. It probably is only two feet off the ground, but they're just blowing the wind machine in his face. It's, uh, 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 it's good. Louis Jordan's acting here is a little bit... <laughs> I can still get out of this. <laughs> I, I, I was wondering if he was thinking, Shiji uh, was much more fun to film than this. <laughs> Apparently this bit took a whole day to film and Maud Adams' knees was, knees were like dinged up from it. And yeah. it wasn't a happy day. Yeah. But um, right, Roger like Moore's arm must have been about a meter longer afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for two people that just like jumped out of a moving plane, there's like really not a scratch on them. Like, mm-hmm. I'd like to see some blood. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, so we can invite the head of the KGB into Secret Service. It's fine. Yeah, don't serve him the best brandy, though. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, we. The one thing oh. I was trying to find, I thought I had it, I couldn't find it, was an Octopussy press kit. I don't think they really said whether he was playing a new M or just, I, I got, I, again, I think you can like interpret it either way, as e- either a recasting or a different character, but whatever. Hmm. We should run a poll, find out what everybody thinks. Mm-hmm. Aww. And isn't there like a saxophone? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Twin one, twin two. Interesting. Yeah. Some of the character names. So if I was to rewrite this movie for 2020, the twins would be called like and subscribe. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Midge Camp Lenkin. That's great credit. I have a friend who has a Star Wars podcast. He's all in on Star Wars. And I sent him a picture of the general that we believe was choked, mm-hmm. you know, on the right. Mm-hmm. He responds with a picture of himself with that general <laughs> <laughs> and, and says, rest in peace. So I guess that, <laughs> guess that actor's no longer with us. <laughs> oh, 
No. Sad. And then Richard Graydon as Francisco the Fearless. The Thugs. That's always a great credit, too. <laughs> yeah. You see, the Thugs get name-checked, but the construction crew don't. No. Mm. That's, oh. There's Barbara Broccoli's credit. Executive assistant. Yeah. Oh, Tony Broccoli's credited on this as well. Yeah. I think he had also been on, uh, Tony Broccoli had also been on For Your Eyes Only. Huh. Oh, there's a Lamont. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's always Michael a Lamont. Brother, yeah. <laughs> So I've got nothing then- against him. <laughs> <laughs> it's one way to keep it in the family, just keep breeding uh, art people. <laughs> <laughs> Catering by the location caterers limited. Timmy Lamont comes home one day. I want to be a fireman. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got to build sets. <laughs> and you got to like it. <laughs> Learn this and, and, and Actually, we're, we're working on the 007 stage, so maybe that's a good move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, we, we, we've got something for you. <laughs> All right, some questions from Twitter. Corneal asks, um, he always oh. felt that Moore's bomb diffusing dressed as a clown and his persistence in that scene is very, very good. We, we all agreed with that, I think, didn't we? Um, yeah. Maybe his best acting in the series. Does the panel agree or is Bond in a clown suit rightfully ridiculed by the general public and casual fans? No. Yeah. I don't know anyone who actually ridicules the, the clown usage in this one, actually. I think mo- every time it comes up in conversation, it always seems to be people saying, like, oh, actually, they handled it pretty well. Um, and yeah, I think we talked about Roger's performance being really good in it at, at the very start of the film. It's like a nice sort of like horror slasher movie moment. Uh, yeah. I think it works really well. I, I've never heard anyone say that one of Octopussy's faults is that they have Bond in clown gear in, in it. In fact, it, it adds an element of almost the bizarre because it mm. is such a serious moment and he's dressed like a clown. I mean, mm. it's such a weird dichotomy. Yeah, the execution's very strange, but I have seen a lot of drive-by stuff where uh, the, a shorthand for the the franchise getting you know fallow or going silly is uh, is Roger Moore in a clown suit. That's not what's presented yeah. at all. But I, I do think that you know on paper they are asking a lot of the viewer in terms of, and I think as we noticed, like it's wild that we watch it and do sort of buy in and, and not sort of take it as high camp or silliness. But it's because it's a it's a weird pro- proposition to put it in front of you. Like Bonds as a, a clown, but he, he's trying to disarm a nuclear device, and it's a super serious moment. Like I'm, actually, you know, frankly surprised John Glenn pulled it off. I'm mm. uh, actually I've heard more criticism about the balloon with the Union Jack on it from yeah. my uh, American <laughs> the parachute. Oh uh, no, the, uh, the the air balloon here. Yeah, I got you. From uh, from my American Bond fans who've never cared much for Roger Moore to begin with, mm. so. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. I'm not really a fan of the. Uh, I'm not really a fan of it. I, I find the whole circus thing very, very odd. And uh, it, for me, it doesn't really belong in a Bond film. But uh, you know, if it works for you, uh, so be it. That's good for you. <laughs> I guess it classifies as the uh, performing arts in the Bond series subcategory of bits and pieces, <laughs> doesn't it? Along with the chiropractor dances from the smile of me. Um, I just think that 
there's and sillier Tosca. moments. And there's, I think, yeah, there's sillier moments that are in Bond films. And I, as I said before, I think that they could have, if they really wanted to make it this humorous moment, they could have clowned it up. But I think they really took that idea that that clowns are kind of creepy or that there's horror elements. I think that they they didn't have the performance match sort of the exterior and they made a good blend of of the two and and what they were working with. Hmm. We also have the Maybaum bit about, you know, taking something near the beginning of the story and returning to it yeah. in a different form, a slightly altered form. Um, I, I credit that with Maybaum. I mean, he's like the one writer who has the, the examples I keep bringing up. So I assume that's his doing. For anybody who says like the circus is like a bit of a stretch, I always point them to like, have you read Doctor No? <laughs> because <laughs> Yes. You know, Fleming does, you know, ground a lot of stuff in reality and then twists it into fantasy. Once you've got that foundation, you can take that reader on that leap. Mm-hmm. And I think this film does that. Okay. Yeah, Fle- Fleming pushes it into science fiction rather than uh, circuses, though. Mm. Simon asks, do you think Octopus is a genuine Cold War thriller? I think we've we debated that at Checkpoint Charlie, didn't we? Yeah. Um, John asks... Had Roger Moore retired after the role from Fury Eyes Only, do you think this would have made a good first film for Timothy Dalton? Nah. How would they tailored it for Dalton brackets? Yes, I know that Timothy Dalton wasn't necessarily on the shortlist at this time. So, yeah, it would have been Brolin or Billington or somebody else. But mm. uh, It would have been a weird first film, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. It certainly would. It, it, and maybe it would, set, maybe it would have set the tone for all the films that followed as well. Well, maybe. And I and I think with uh, Connery doing Never Say Never Again, there was it was. I just think uh, Broccoli decided to play it safe. And yeah, like, it wasn't the year uh, to do a new one. But even the plot and the moments just lean into a, a sort of a, a comfort and a and a, uh, a familiarity, I guess that that you probably wouldn't want to be uh, tasking some new Bond with doing. Mm. I think. Um, when you know when we were talking about the clown suit um, and talking about new bonds, it reminds me a bit of what happened in Honor Majesty's Secret Service, where there was a you have um, Lazenby coming in playing Bond, but he plays a disguise and yeah. he wears a kilt and he plays a, a different sort of character or he enacts that character for a long period of time. And I think with the clown suit in this, I think it would have had the same sort of effect mm-hmm. um, of playing sort of like this, this, this larger than life or, or unbelievable figure. And so I, I don't know how that would have been for a first outing for a bond without having an established persona. Whereas I think the living daylights is a really good first film for Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and because he plays his character and I think he plays his character quite well in that film. So I yeah. think there might, might be, just a little bit of like a, a bit of a trap for a bond if this was their first outing just with some of the iconography in the way that it was difficult to really get a feeling for Lazenby in Honor Majesty's Secret Service just because of the film itself and, and yeah. the trappings of it. And then there's a domino effect. I, I feel like then then you're looking at whether or not Maude Adams is good for a new bond mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. you know her playing. I think that the age dynamic between her and Moore works here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm. But uh, Lisa, you, you put something in my head just now, which was uh, imagine a majesty on Her Majesty's Secret Service with Lazenby going to Pizza Gloria dressed as a clown. 
<laughs> wow. Um, are you what Hillary Bray? Honk, honk. <laughs> <laughs> like as a mute clown would have been amazing. Well, you know, <laughs> to, see, uh, uh, to see him well, ski with those shoes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. It's like oh, the, uh, like the MGM. He wouldn't it's have like the MGM logo though. with the uh, the MGM logo with the Marx Brothers. And the, <laughs> <laughs> it, it happened. I saw it. It's sure. uh, and, and and of course when they get to, you know the first two are like mimicking the roar and then you get Harpo and he's like no sounds <laughs> coming out so then he like grabs his little horn honk mm-hmm. honk for his lion roar. <laughs> so um, one thing. Uh, about this film is the whole business about battle of the bonds and all that. And it was getting a lot of attention, this, you know, face off between Moore versus Connery and Starlog magazine uh, had an interview with uh, Richard Maybaum. And it's like, may I had not seen that many interviews with Maybaum up to that point. And now Maybaum was very careful with his words, but I got the impression he was definitely a Connery guy rather than a Roger Moore guy. <laughs> mm. And so, yeah, but but here he is working on the uh, on the Moore side, um, despite that. So, and then um, I, I've got to say this: I think it actually helped Octopussy. Never seen ever again. Yeah, the Battle of the Bonds being in oh, the yeah. public sphere mm. helped. The rising tide lifted both boats. I think. Yeah, it made it an yeah. event. You had to watch it both. It was. It was feared that it would weaken, you know, the the take of both films, but it, I think it actually boosted them. Hmm. I tell you why. Um, Octopus's budget uh, compared to Furies only. If you don't know the numbers, are you going to guess it's lower, higher, or equal? Higher. Any more takers? Lower. I'm, I'm going higher. I'll mm. say about the same. It was lower by five hundred thousand dollars. It was twenty-seven point five versus twenty-eight, and wow. considering Roger was getting a bigger paycheck, yeah, that makes right. it an even like bigger, yeah, gap, right? It, it even makes it lower. But I think if you were to put them side by side, you'd think, well, Octopussy looks way more expensive. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. So, and on the box office, um, admission. Well, worldwide box office was a smidge down on Puros only. By about ten million, but the U.S. box office was up from fifty-two million to sixty-seven million. But if you look at actual admissions, number of tickets sold, it was actually down on viewers only. It's because ticket prices went up, mm-hmm. so mm. it dropped. It dropped by like a million, uh, twenty-two and a half to twenty-one and a half. So it was basically like it did the almost identical business on an almost identical budget. Hmm. And then we go to a view to a kill, and then it just goes off the cliff. Um, in terms of U.S. money, but right, you mean down? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. And then Octopussy kind of handed uh, "Never Seen Never Again" its lunch at the box office in '83, right? Yeah, they did okay, but well, okay. like I said earlier, at one point they were originally supposed to come out practically on top of one another, and then um, "Never Say Never Again" with its problems got pushed back to the fall, which was probably the right move from the beginning. I just putting them during the same summer season would have been nuts. But oh, what's hilarious is Never Say Never Again cost thirty six million compared to Octopussy's twenty seven. Wow. Oof. 
I think there are a lot of people getting big paychecks versus the money being on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) It was that video game. It was that video game FX that they needed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. The Atari Atari game. (laughs) The very first rumble pack. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Octopus, you did basically repeat business from Furos only. So, you know, it's good, stable. And then you can see why they thought, well, we'll just do another one. We'll roll the dice again with Roger for video kill. Why rock the boat? Yeah. I mean, it was becoming predictable business. Right. And Roger Moore was signed pretty early for um, you to kill. Straight after this came out. Yeah. Hmm. Where yeah, he, was, he was done playing with them. Uh, you know what? I have this it, strictly speculation. I have the feeling that maybe Broccoli just instead of going through pr- another set of protracted negotiations, decided, you know, out of loyalty, you know, the, Roger had passed the, the loyalty test, so... Well, he'd also seen off McClory. Right. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Or the threat of McClory. Interesting. That makes sense. But to channel Ben, because he had to drop off... Um, this is one of those that was always a bit wonky for me as a kid. And then as I got into Bond, it was always a bit of an outlier. But now I've come to appreciate it a lot more. Yeah. Mm. It's about where I am. The, 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 for your eyes only, this one from A View to a Kill, it's where the series really started to settle into pro, like a programmer kind of space. There were mm-hmm. these reliable films that were coming out. They weren't, they weren't going to blow your mind. They, you know, it, Moonraker was the last one that was taking like a real leap at like, you know, zeitgeisty type, type stuff, I think, as far as Moore's yeah. Run goes. And then these are just like, it's just another cozy adventure They're with Uncle Raj. Three, three films cut from the same cloth, pretty much. Right? A little. It feels that way. Yeah. Mm. I think what Phil just said, just to sum up my thoughts about cozy, like this is one of my, I think I talked about it on our Tomorrow Never Dies watch along. Like this and Tomorrow Never Dies are my kind of like go-to comfort food bonds. It's like, where they're just, they're not taxing. I can just stick it on if I've, if I'm, you know, sick and I'm home and just looking for some kind of just, good entertainment i will always go to one of these and i uh, you know i can i can still watch them when i'm feeling healthy and just in need of some good entertainment or whatever it's uh they, mm. they both fill that space very nicely and i, I think it's, i think it's a lovely bit of entertainment i'm always surprised when i hear people talk so negatively of it because i just think yeah. of it as like i i'm surprised that people can have uh, you know a terribly extreme negative reaction about it because it's so like oh no it's just it it does its thing i think it does it well i think the villains are really good which is saying something i think lisa mentioned it earlier on um but uh, it, just to say about like uh, louis jordan and uh, stephen burkoff like so much of the time we've talked about you know um ableist sort of like bond villains it's like you know they almost use you know a a physical disfigurement or a missing limb or whatever as sort of like a substitute for a memorable character trait and i think it it says something about these two villains that they are they're they're just blokes (laughs) just sort of like perfect you know and and and, uh they they still create quite memorable characters even though I, i don't know if they are given much on the writing side that is terribly unique from previous Bond villains, nor are they given physical right. traits well, that are terribly unique, but yet I think they still create something quite uh, memorable out of it. Script, the, script, the, the script says, follow that car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. That's all, all Burkhoff. Sure, sure. Yeah. Right. yeah. Well, and, and the script says, go out and get him. 
And then yeah. that's yeah. Louis Jordan. Yeah. Go out yeah. and, and get and, him. And the script says, Octopus. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think the way that these ripen for me, though, in weird ways, it has to do with uh, the continuing sort of relationship that you have with the franchise. Like, I'll watch Octopussy now and, and think, this is an amazing John Barry score because I'm not getting any more John Barry scores ever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Whereas yeah, yeah. Uh, there was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I didn't think that way, but now yeah. it's like, and in, in terms of the films as a whole, like we're only getting so many more before we're in the ground. Right. Not to bring the whole podcast down, but um, right. you know, yeah. the, I mean, count the, them on one hand probably now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so you tend to appreciate the ones that are there a little more and appreciate the things that uh, are very finite about them. You know, you're not you're not getting a score like this after what 1987, I guess. Yeah, um, that's so right. I I really kind of appreciate them in, in that regard. They've really ripened nicely for me in that way. Hmm. In fact, this was the start of three straight John Barry scores. Mm-hmm. It's his, it's his last you hurrah. Do a kill and yeah, and the Living Daylights, and they're all really good scores. They're all yeah. like great classic scores, and I probably didn't recognize that 15 years ago. Hmm. I think um, I have a different relationship to Octopussy as, and I can only speak for myself. I'm not speaking for all women who watch Octopussy. Um, I think the the name itself, the title of the movie itself, for some is off-putting. I know that when my students come to this, they're like, what is this movie going to be about? <laughs> and they have these really low expectations. And then they come out of it being like, huh. And so when I'm thinking about my childhood in the 1980s, not to bring back Star Wars again, but there were very few women heroes that I could really connect with. And Princess Leia was one of them from the Star Wars franchise. And for me, the women of Octopussy were another. They just sort of showed you a different way of being, that you could be, you know, strong and steadfast and independent um, and, 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 and still be, you know, feminine at the same time. And so, you know, growing up, this sort of shaped my, my potential in life, realizing I could be whatever I wanted to be. And there's this idea you can be what you can see, right? And so having these images on screen, I always found them to be um, quite empowering. Are they perfect? No. (laughs) Are there problems? Sure. Um, But I think that when you have minimal imagery out there, heroic imagery, you really do pull and, and select your inspiration and you sort of uh, negotiate a reading um, that you can find empowering. And people who are from a variety of different minority groups would probably say, like, I can find inspiration in little nuggets and currents uh, to help me through. And so as a woman, I've always found this movie to sort of have that those kernels for me to connect with. Um, and, and besides the fact that I like Roger Moore and I'm, a, you know, he's my favorite Bond and I like his humor and I like some of the other elements. Um, I've always found that the women of Octopussy to be just sort of um, an inspiration and, and, and a sense, a source of empowerment for me, mm. again, as like a girl of the 80s growing up. Sure. I didn't necessarily have the heroes that we have uh, today, which is why, you know, when a film like Wonder Woman comes out and, you know, I see little girls watching and 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 seeing that mm. movie through their eyes and their excitement, that's what excites me. Um, and this for me was sort of comparable to that growing up. That's cool. I'm definitely stealing negotiate a reading. I really like the way you phrased that. In terms of like watching, you know, quote unquote problematic or dated content, you negotiate a reading. Yeah. I love that. 
Mm. Well, I think mm. I get it from Stuart Hall. So Stuart Hall has this idea of where you sort of like there, there's a film and you sort of take the reading as is that's intended. You sort of have a, like a conflict to that reading. And then I think he uses, I'm not sure if he uses the word negotiating, but he oh, sort of yours. talks about having, so, Hey, I use negotiating a lot. I'm I mean, standard. I have an article negotiating shifts in feminism. I like the word. So Can I, I love it. Can we talk real quick about the title? Cause Lisa touched on the title and how it's off putting to like some of her students and whatnot. This yeah. is just something I'm just thinking about and just noticed. There were two kind of ways they flirted with this title in the marketing and Bill will know this and, and, and you guys as well, but there was one where it was Roger Moore and there were eight arms behind him, right? And it were eight, yeah. eight arms behind Maude Adams. So they're playing on the eight. Yeah. Uh, and and then there's one where it was Roger Moore and he was like just sort of repeated behind himself. Yeah. 13 times. 13. So the, oh, that was playing yeah. on, on the 13th film then. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Got it. So no, I, you know, it, to, to me, it was the, the eight arms felt like you're playing on the octopus part of the title, <laughs> but, yeah. um, what is your memory? Minds up, right? Yeah. What is, to... what's Bill's memory say of like how risque this title was even being viewed as at the time? Um, in Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, radio stations wouldn't give out the title. <laughs> what? Oh, well. uh, <laughs> the 13th Bond film. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's and amazing I'm, yeah that was it was considered quite risque i recently well, found, i recently found a german publicity slide set and it cut the ussy off the title of the slide ah. it just says octo <laughs> with the gun barrel wow, wow. I spoke with someone, I don't know, I, I don't know who told me. So somebody either on Twitter, on Facebook, I, I could not tell you who, but they were asked at like in their professional setting what their favorite movie was and they said Octopussy and they were reported by uh, to HR for being oh. in the workplace. Oh and then God. it turned out that like Octopussy is actually the name of a movie. Uh, so yeah. So, and I think that was like a recent thing that happened like within the last year or so. So I mean, even today, people are sort of questioning the title mm. um mm. in the in the making of featurette on the home video release um there's roger moore talks about doing some interview with a, a woman journalist and what's the name of you know what's the name of it it's uh, octopusy and that this interviewer was really aghast you must be joking like, no it's the name of an ian fleming short story <laughs> um which makes it okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I don't know if you remember this, David, but there was like a, um, an official forum on Bond in like early two thousands. I'm going to say around Dino the daytime, yeah. and they were using it to merchandise like martini glasses and stuff. It and um, it was a company. It, it was a company that also did boy band stuff and uh, bits and pieces. Um, but because it was like an out of the box deployment of like some internet forum software, it would censor pussy to cat. So whenever they would put, like whenever they would put like articles up, it would be Octocat. It would also correct Octocat. It always cracked wow. me up. Along with um, Chicken Shaker instead of Cocktail Shaker, it was no. Chicken Shaker, <laughs> which was a little bit, which was a bit of an issue so because funny. they were they were it's trying so to sell. Merch. Chicken tail shakers. Chicken tail shakers. <laughs> on uh, real quick on the budget, part of the reason they went to India was to stretch their uh, budget because, oh, you know what? In that up in the upcoming special, this will be in more detail. But uh, essentially, yeah, they they were able to stretch their resources 
by by shooting as much of the film in India as they did. Mm. I, it was expensive to get there with a the crew, but cheap once you're there. Right? right. Which was the whole plan about Mexico for License to Kill, which didn't turn out right, did it? No, no. Um, I just want to say real quick about the movie is one thing about Roger Moore in my mind is if if he felt there was pressure because of the Connery movie, and I don't know if he did or not, he certainly doesn't show it. And mm. and I think he has, I, I referred to this once, right, about this film. I said that he has this, I know exactly what I'm doing vibe. Um, it's like, I've been here before, you know, I'm just, it's, and, and it's particularly evident in my mind in the backgammon scene. Um, mm. That's, I think that's one of the best scenes in the movie. And I, I think it's one of his best scenes as Bond. I never thought that backgammon scene was particularly special. So mm. But I did like how um, Roger took a playing it straight all the way through, pretty much, except for the goofy dubbins that they did with Tarzan and all that kind of messed right. around. But, you know, the opening night jokes. But for the rest of the film, I mean, he's pretty serious, hmm. which, I mean, if you just look at his performance, he's pretty straight through it. I Given the, the reputation of Octopussy in the public domain is kind of a, you know, you wouldn't think that. The reason I like that backgammon scene is he's he's looking straight at Kamal, and you know when he says "fancy that double sixes," you know, not looking down at the mm-hmm. table at all. And I just I just think that's a nice moment. They almost ruined it with uh, the henchman crushing the dice. I don't think that's yeah. really oh, possible. Oh, I love that. Uh, okay. <laughs> So good. It's an odd job thing. Yeah, it's, I was, was going to say it's a bit too odd job. It, it, it's, it's, like, yeah. it's too obvious. But instead uh, of the I golf mean, ball, it, yeah, yeah, yeah because that, I, but it's it's not the worst part of of uh, of uh, the film though for me. So yeah. see, Inspector, what? it was two two walnuts. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but it wasn't. What is the worst part of the film for you, David? Is it the clown? I think so, yeah. Uh, well, the I, whole circus thing, to be no, wrapped whole, up. Yeah, that is the clown thing. It's the whole, it's the whole circus thing, really. And uh, I, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just wasn't designed to have Bond in a clown suit. Uh, I really wasn't. <laughs> I, I I like the fact that Bond falls off the train and has to come up with a way of getting to where he's got to be to, to, you know, to sound the alarm, you know, by flagging the car down, trying to call in from the phone box that doesn't go well. So he has to steal the car and then he has to crash through the barriers and they all, you know, like his plan keeps falling apart Mm. as he goes. Mm. There was a Raymond Benson novel where they just drop bond in the middle of the outback. I think it was his first one. Yeah. And it's like, I'd love to see that kind of thing again, where they just, you know, he knows what's going on. He's got no means, no visible means of getting back or solving it and just put him in that kind of environment where he's like screwed basically. But we don't see a lot of that in the series. Hmm. There's always like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It's all kind of telegraphed out, but anyway. All right. Nominations quickly. Let's go. Oh, uh... gosh, what's left? Yeah, we've not got that many left. I think there's only like six, is there? Three Conneries, two Moles, and one Craig. Yes. <laughs> Craig. <laughs> All right. I'll, you know what? I'll no, you know what? I'll nominate Spectre just so we can cross. Oh. Which means it won't win. So there you go. You never know. It's got to win one day. 
What kind, what kind of Lisa, 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 if you round up your following to vote for it, I think you might get it because that's, <laughs> that's right. because Spectre and Goldfinger are in the lead before you retweeted this one. Mm. Yeah, I don't saying. think I'm going to rally people to vote for Spectre. <laughs> with, 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 with Connery, we've got Goldfinger, Thunderball, and You Only Live Twice. Yeah. Mm. Can I nominate Thunderball? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I might vote for it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> David should should David should I just wait Golden Gun now? <laughs> um, I, I'm thinking about it. Uh, oh, uh, is it still not okay to suggest live and let die? Are we? No, it's fine. I think we're past that now. Right, let's live and let die. Go for it. <laughs> I remember when I remember and. Um, they asked, I think it was uh, Phil Neville, the Man United player, like who he wanted to see win between Man City and Chelsea. And he was like, that's like asking which of your two friends you want to cheat on your wife with. <laughs> um, and I think that's where we're now down to on these mm. <laughs> choices. Olympic. I like Thunderball. I like Man with the Golden Gun. I'm, oh, I'm like, still oh, in I'm it. Favorite. I'm in it to win it. David, you're picking Goldfinger, right? I'm going for the man with the golden gun. Going to split that live and let die vote. I don't. I think they're two different audiences. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be spectral live and let die. I feel. Of these. I think live and let die is going to walk it. Maybe, maybe because it's been it's not been in the uh, options ever. Uh, it was mm. once. Once yeah. was once. Okay. Not been nominated a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, damn, boy. Oh, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> you got two J.W. Pepper movies in this mix. I don't know. Yeah. You're, splitting, you're splitting the Heartland vote. You're splitting the Pepper vote. That's right. Your Red Staters are going to be real confused. <laughs> I think the last, I think it's it's going to be Goldfinger or Thunderball, like the last. Or maybe it'll be you and Live Twice. I think we're going to get to Spectre yeah. and the last two moors before we get to the last Connery. <laughs> I think if you're a J.W. Pepper fan, you go for Live and Let Die. I just, yeah. probably, you know, you, you, you yeah. have you have J.W. in his element as opposed to being in Thailand, which is his so prime. weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, well, he's got his posse with him in Live and Let Die. Mm. Yeah. All right, so we'll leave the final word to Louis Jordan. Octopus. And uh, <laughs> we'll see you all next week. Bye for now. It's a long When you're smuggling Soviet treasures from the east side to the west. A circus troupe, that's the best. Who's a female villain from the Indian subcontinent? And yet she's also a Swedish baby in a sari, and she's flaunting it. She likes an octopus and lots of money. Yeah, she's money. Should probably not have made For your eyes 
eyes only wasn't there And where he should have stayed and not hopped out To write this, we should put some good stuff in. There's a pretty exciting fight there on a train from east to west Berlin. And there's lots of lady ninjas fighting the battles that they win in. The pussy! The pussy! The pussy! The pussy! Yeah! Wow! Is this a serious film about nuclear disarmament? Or is it a goofy comedy that does the franchise a whole lot of harm, you meant? Whatever it is, is definitely inconsistent in tone. If we could find a way to get Ian Fleming on the phone, he'd be rolling in his grave and letting out. 